Hey, welcome to the 298th episode of the Random Podcast from Heck. My name is Tony, and this is a podcast about random things in the world of entertainment, which includes movies, TV shows, and comic books. Big shout out to Dave McPhail and Andrew Loken. They are big supporters of the show. You can be a supporter by going to patreon.com slash gmanfromheck. Any amount you can commit to will be awesome. If you commit at the Rick Jones tier or higher, you get access to the secret podcast from Heck, which is an additional 30 minutes of podcast entertainment every single week. I just was recently talking about Fantastic Four from 1985, John Byrne. I'm trying to think. I, I'm, I'm trying to get to a stopping point, a pause point to do something else. I need to remember if if this is a good place or not. Well, we'll see. So I, I may do something else. I don't, I don't need I, – sometimes I talk about movies. Sometimes I talk about often my topics. I may do something a little different. We'll see. But – if you can't commit to a monthly commitment, you can also help out by going to coffee.com slash gmanfromheck, and you can buy me a virtual cup of coffee or two. That's ko-fi.com slash gmanfromheck. So this week, uh, the main feature is, a, I, don't, I don't know if you've heard of this. I hadn't heard of it until like just a couple of weeks ago. It's a movie called Hypnotic. It's directed by Robert Rodriguez, which he's he's awesome. He's amazing, uh, and it stars this this actor. Um, he's this up and coming guy. You may have heard of him. His name is Ben Affleck. And I was like, I was like, what? How how did I not hear about this? And I guess it's it. You could say it's like an independent. You know, it's it's a smaller production, which is un- unfortunate because I feel like. I feel like a lot of people aren't going to see this. So here's the thing. I didn't even know if it was going to play in my theater. I, I go to the movie theaters every Thursday night because they usually they do like a late showing and then before the Friday opening. So my theater, they didn't have – I buy my tickets online. And you can you can choose your seats and all that. My theater didn't have it. I'm like, are they going to have it? So I actually called them. I called a theater, which who does that? You know, you do everything online. I called a theater Monday. I'm like, uh, are you getting hypnotic? And the, the whoever answered was like, uh, we're not sure yet. And they're they're like, we don't have the times or anything. I was like, well, so do you know, do you think you'd get it like a Thursday night? Because there's another theater like, you know, uh, next town over it I, I could go to. And they're like, yeah, we're not really sure, especially with this, you know, smaller movies in it. So I'm like waiting and waiting because I, I could have gone to the other theater. It was like, I didn't want to. And then finally, it was like, I think it was like Wednesday. I'm like, okay, I got to buy my ticket because it's almost Thursday. And then I checked one more time. My theater had it. So I'm like, whew. So I just, it's worth, I I think it's worth checking out. We'll we'll talk, I'll talk obviously more about it later. But but yeah, so Hypnotic. um, I just hope, I hope, hope it does okay, does well. People should see it. And then uh, we got the season finale of Titans. I didn't realize that this week's or last week or whatever was the season finale. I thought there was a, f- a couple more. And then we got the, the latest Superman Lois, Flash, and another episode of Citadel where things are just getting shaken up and everything. I know I mentioned last week I wanted to talk about the Apple TV show Silo. I haven't had a chance to watch it. I don't know where my time goes, but between watching, you know, so this week I had one, two, three, only four shows, but watching the shows and trying to read the comics. And I feel like I didn't read, there might be a couple comics I didn't read more than last week, but it's like, man, I'm just, I'm getting my butt kicked. So, uh, yeah, I didn't watch Silo and, and I'm debating one, cause you know, there, there's a big thing is, does anyone hear about it? But then, too, it's like, do I need to talk about – see, see now I'm kind of thinking, it's like, okay, so I'm, what, going to be three episodes behind? Maybe I start talking about next week since there's no Titans. But 
I just don't know if there's any interest and I don't want to spend, you know, 20 minutes going through a show and then people are like, oh, I, I want to fast forward through this. But I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, I don't know. But let's get to the news because this is just like the longest intro. <laughs> Urkel. Let's start with Urkel. Jaleel White is going to be in a Star Wars thing. He's going to be a Star Wars skeleton crew. Uh, so here's the thing. I hope he doesn't get in trouble. He he was at an Edmonton Oilers NHL game, and it came up. So I don't know if it w- w- where it was announced, if anyone announced it. Hopefully, because with these things, all these announcements are very, very controlled. You know, with the big studios, they, you know, maybe they want to announce it at Comic Con or this or what. So okay, yeah, Jaleel White. It'd be one thing, like if you're gonna say, "Oh, Ben Affleck," you know, just because I mentioned him, he's in the Star Wars. And, you know, no offense, Julia White, but come on, you know, people know more people are gonna say, you know, what I'm getting at. So he just mentioned it, and apparently he's playing a, playing a pirate, and he's talking about like makeup or whatever. And I mean, that's awesome for him. I, I think that's that's so great. You know, why be limited to one thing? And he because he's done things other than Modern Family. But everyone just knows him for Urkel, and I hope he's he still makes a you know I hope he makes money off of the syndication and residuals or whatever. But yeah, so that that that's that's great. <laughs> but I just I just it's like you should you can't just mention it casually. I don't know. Speaking of mentioning things casually, I I keep thinking, seeing all these rumors like it's it's almost like news sites are running out of news, so to. They're relying, they're leaning towards rumors. And I mentioned this, I think it was last week. You know, you, you gotta, you, it's, it's that tough situation where it's like, do you report on a rumor or not? Because if it is true, then you're like, man, this, this news actually kind of leaked out a month ago and I never mentioned it. Everyone else talked about it, but there's a rumor about Venom 3 that maybe the working title is called Orwell. So again, this could be true or this could be not true. Something like this, like why? You know, why would someone make this up? But then, you know, some could have the information wrong. Maybe someone was told something, and and they were lying or they were wrong. It's it's a uh, not really really sure if if this is accurate or not. It was um, apparently mentioned by Cosmic Circus. I'm not online as much as I used to be. I don't know anything. I've I've never heard of Cosmic Circus. I'm sure they've never heard of me. Maybe so. I don't know how much credibility there is or not, but I'm assuming since I saw this on a, you know, a couple other places, maybe there is something to it. Maybe not. But they're saying that it could be Orwell. Now, Orwell could refer to um, Orwell Taylor in the comics. He was like this general dude or ex-general or something like that. And I think his son was killed by, I don't think it was by, I don't know if it was just another symbiote or Venom or something like that. And then he, he has, wasn't he like with the jury? I don't know. We'll we'll see, and of course, you know, there's rumors about uh, like Marvel maybe planning to recast Jonathan Majors as Kang. You know, this has been people have been talking about this, and I think this is also Cosmic Circus saying that they've started preparations should they need to. So basically, like in case things get, it's like they have a backup plan, and it's it's so crazy that you have to actually possibly you know if again if this is true did you have to do this it's like okay in case our our lead actor does something really wrong i don't know and and it, it's just i i still don't know how you feel about it you know if someone's a scumbag yeah you don't want anything to do with them but 
you know, what we have here is like a he said, she said, you know, this domestic uh, allegations. And, you know, apparently there's video evidence that nothing did happen the night in question. Um, Because I think there was like they were in a taxi cab and there's footage or there's something like that. And and then the woman who who says that he did whatever hit her or something like that, that she was in a club later and she was totally fine. And I don't know. But it's it's just crazy that, you know, something like this and they, they're calling it a, a smear campaign or and it's just you want to take anything, you know, you want to take these accusations seriously. But at the same time, if you're making something up, then you're you're making it that much harder when something does actually happen and someone wants to step forward, because if something happens, it, it should be known. And, you know, whoever's responsible should be held responsible. So I, I, I don't know, because then there's also, you know, talk about Loki season two. And, and I think there were some delays because for the longest time, I don't know if it was delayed or again, for the longest time, it was like there was no date. And they're claiming that it's delayed because of storyline issues that I think Jonathan Majors is still Loki throughout that because it's, I, I don't even I don't even know where season two is. It's like, have they filmed it yet? Have they filmed some of it? Have they started already done with the filming. Uh, I don't know, but it's just uh, all these. I, I don't. I don't like these reports where you know. One, I feel like whatever happens between two people, that's their business, and the courts. You know, someone should, whatever should be held responsible, but it shouldn't be all over the news and that. And I, I don't know. I mean, I just. I, I don't know what to say. Like, should he lose his job because he did something on his personal time? But I guess. I mean, I'm not saying I don't want to support someone if they're bad. I don't know. But other Marvel stuff, um, Agatha, I think this was um, more more rumors. This is from someone who said this. I can't even keep track of all these scoopers, all these people. But apparently Agatha Coven of Mystery, there's the possibility that Aubrey Plaza, that her character might be more powerful than even Scarlet Witch or something like that. And there's, I think there's something about Agatha, like trying to control or take care of a kid, which could, people are saying, oh, it's probably, maybe that's Wiccan, you know, uh, Wanda's kid. And uh, Senior Scratchy, the rabbit, he's supposedly back. Uh, who knows? I don't know. We shall see. Um, another rumor, um, man, I didn't write down who said that. I, I want to credit whoever's saying this, but there's a rumor that Adam Driver allegedly, supposedly accepted the role of Reed Richards in Fantastic Four, but who knows if, if that's true or not. I don't know. Andor, showrunner Tony Gilroy, he stopped all duties because of the, the, the WGA strike. I think the report said that he finished the scripts before the strike happened. I don't know if he's like turned them in or if he's like hanging on to them. Like maybe they weren't due yet, but he had them done. He was doing some others like producing activities. Someone, another member called him a scab because he was still doing that. And so then he, I guess he he's like, okay, fine. And I'll just stop doing that as well. That's a, a kind of a weird, weird thing because, you know, this is a writer strike. I get, you know, the whole solidarity and everything, but he wasn't doing any writing and he wasn't doing any further, you know, because there's probably going to want like revisions or something, who knows, but, and, and the whole thing about strikes, I mean, thankfully I've, I've never had to do it, you know, in a teaching profession, you know, you hear about teachers striking, but, you know, with, you just have, 
I guess we've always I've always been in a district where you have a good negotiation team, a good you know relationship between the districts, and you know you negotiate everything and, and come to terms with, okay, this is what we need. This is what we want. And it's, it's still, it's a joke. You know, I mean, teachers, and I'm not just saying that because I'm a teacher, teachers are so incredibly underpaid, you know, and I, I, I say it often. I don't know if I ever said it publicly, but I got paid way more, way more, you know, running comic vine than I did for teaching. And if, if you put things in perspective, you know, what's more important and yeah, people want their comic book news and stuff like that. But you would think shaping the future, educating kids, you know, that should be a bigger deal. And that that's the you know reason why I enjoy teaching because it is important. It's it's can be a pain in the butt, but it, you know, they're, they're, you're doing something good. And I'm not saying that you know, talking about superheroes and, and comic books and entertainment, it's not good. You know what I, what I mean. So, anyways, uh, about this. Yeah, so that that's just it's it's bad that people are calling him a scab and it's, but I always wonder it's like how do the studios feel because you know it's like okay this is your job is to do this work and if someone's like okay I'm going on strike and then what do you do and I I guess you know that that's in your contract or whatever where because it, it it's to me it seems like if I'm you know hiring someone to do something and they don't show up then it's like all right. I'm going to get someone else to do it. And I guess that's where the scabs come in because if someone's failing, you know, someone fails to show up to work, you know, they, one, they don't get paid, but if you're running, if you need something, like if you need your lawn mowed, it needs to get mowed. Or if, if you're running a company, a business, you know, you, you need your stuff to get done. I, I'm not saying I'm anti-strike or anti-union, but it's just, it's, it's such, such a weird concept that we can do that, that, you know, all these people are like, you know, you're, I'm, I'm working for the Star Wars show. He's like, yeah, I'm not going to come to work. What are you going to do about that? While there's so many people out there, like, please read my note card with my ideas or something. <sighs> but the, at, uh, on the other side too, you know, the, if the, if, if there's unfair wages and the corporations are making all this money, they would, and it's a fine line, you know, they wouldn't have the success if they didn't have the people writing it. You know, you need the writers, you need the directors, you need the actors, you need the whole crew. And, you know, you may have even like, if you take like your Luke Skywalker's, your Hansel, you know, using that as an example, or if you go Marvel, you know, you're going with Avengers or Spider-Man or whatever, you know, you need, the, the people behind the creators and by creators, I don't mean a person who, who came up with it, just the people involved with like writing it and, and telling the stories. You need to have these compelling stories because no matter how flashy something looks, if, if it's garbage writing or garbage dialogue, or if it, the lighting is bad or the costumes are, are horrid, people are going to be like, okay, this was a cool idea, but this is, this is kind of lame. <sighs> so hopefully everyone will, uh, get along and, and make up <laughs> so how about some marvel news speaking of marvel apparently the whole f-bomb thing guardians of the galaxy which i i think is a joke i i i feel it's totally unnecessary you know watching a movie i don't think it was it obviously wasn't necessary when when you when we had it in was it X-Men Days of Future Past when Wolverine said it to Professor X and Magneto? It was that was kind of funny. That was like kind of unexpected. But that was more typical. You know, that, that's Wolverine. But now it's for Star Lord of all people to say it. And and yeah, it was a kind of a funny thing, or whatever, but I, I don't know that. So you know, like apparently um Kevin Feige was 
he he mentioned you know when James Gunn brought it up because you know he he's like he put it in there. And he's like, oh, no, Marvel, you know, Disney's going to cut this out. This is going to be the first time, you know, I've had something cut out or change or whatever. And he brought up the Kevin Feige and and he's like, yeah, the, the Russos put an F-bomb in Endgame, but then they removed it because I, I think Kevin Feige's like, yeah, if, if you want that in there, if you want that to be your legacy, okay. And they're like, eh. But James Gunn's like, he doesn't care. He's fine with that being his legacy. I again, I don't think like oh, I put an f bomb in there that makes me cool, and I have you know huge respect for for James Gunn, but I just don't don't think it's it's necessary. But of course, you know we're gonna get Deadpool soon, so I'm sure there'll be f bombs in there and stuff like that, and it'll be rated R. But yeah, we 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 had that, <laughs> and uh, there there's people brought up because you know often James Gunn will answer questions on Twitter. And, you know, he's just very like, yes, no, whatever. And someone asked if, if he had talked to Disney about, you know, the future of the Guardians, whatever. And he's just like, yes. Which meaning like, like have they talked to him? I'm, I'm sure, you know, they don't have to talk to him at all about that, about if they have any other plans, you know, in, in new incarnations or anything. But I'm sure like, hey, we were thinking of maybe doing this or whatever. You know, what do you think? And, you know, it's not like you say, oh, you can't do that. But I'm sure he would be willing to give some some information or some thoughts um james gunn also he's he's been teasing like a live action crypto in the superman legacy movie yeah i guess he joked this should be chris pratt and you know he's like he's like yeah we could do motion capture you can walk around on all fours but you just can't talk and i don't know if he's it's supposed to be a joke how you know chris pratt is like voicing everything or whatever but I think they're like, oh, is that a scoop? That he is he going to be in there and whatever. They also it, it came up about Howard the Duck. It's like Howard the Duck was in all three Guardians of the Galaxy movies. Each movie he looks a little different. Like what's up with that? And basically James Gunn said that he was never really satisfied with the way he looked. So did you know they kept working. And I think he was happy with how he looked in in Volume Three. So that, there's like no other you know mysterious reason. It's just because of that. And also, which this is great, um, Peta honored james gunn for the handling of animal cruelty in guardians galaxy 3 because that man that got me so emotional i mean i i think you know they did a really good job with that so so that that's nice that you get some recognition for that and then um i believe the last bit of news which i'm trying to see what's the time so beetlejuice 2 i don't remember if i mentioned that last week i don't know when remember when the news came out if it was like in a borderline when i recorded or if i caught it or not but apparently it's it's going ahead i i, th- I remember it it was mentioned in the the sizzle reel or something like that people saw it but there's like no information i i guess jenna ortega is involved because you know that was she was in talks or supposedly with that and but now the the latest thing is monica bellucci she's gonna be beetlejuice's wife which i didn't even know he had a wife but i guess good for him <laughs> so we'll see um I, and again i'm down for that i didn't love beetlejuice i you know i i liked it and i can appreciate it but so you know I, I'll, I'll watch a sequel and uh with that so like i said so that's gonna be the news for the week all right with comic books at image comics we had ambassadors number four and you know, I mentioned this before, it, it's weird how each issue is like telling a different story, you know, telling a different character, a different quote unquote ambassador, you know, a different hero from another country. So let's see, I'm trying to think the synopsis. It mentions Brazil where a Catholic priest fighting 
drug lords is offered a spot. They just go right to it. Offered a spot on this international super team, but he's happy just doing God's work in the Barrios. So, you know, we, we see like the militia, like what their role is doing. And there, there's a lot of violence and, and death and everything. So this uh, priest was nominated, but he's kind of like, yeah, I'm, I'm ready doing, I mean, I'm making a difference. And then, um, then there's like some lingering stuff with, so the, the lady in charge who's you know giving out these powers, whatever, there's you know stuff with her ex-husband. So that that's a, there's another little piece of the puzzle, you know, moving things forward a bit. Um, Black Cloak issue five. So this is a Kelly Thompson book, uh, Meredith McLaren doing the art. We you know we get some more information about our, our main character, like you know her her about. I don't know if I should say it. I won't say it. But some of her 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 heritage. Let's just say that. And, you know, we had this murder that, you know, they've been investigating. And it's just, it's, it's fascinating, you know, again, um, I, I am warming up more and more to this. Because, like, with the first issue, I was, almost, I was almost a little intimidated with all these different beings and species or whatever you want to call it. But, you know, it, it's cool to, to see everyone and how each person, you know, we're, we're, like their role in their, their world or, their, I don't want to say their society or whatever. But we're seeing how just just things work, you know. So the black cloaks are like these detective, but it's like they're not untouchable, you know, because people will make a move against them if, if they don't agree with what they represent and stuff like that. And so even though you know the, the, we're we're following you know the, the two black cloaks, and it's like they're in danger with what with this investigation, you know, they're they're crossing some lines that people aren't going to be happy with. And so it's just, it's really, really, um, I, I find it fascinating just to see this world being fleshed out and just everything, you know, falling into place. Then there was a uh, junkyard Joe issue six. So this was, uh, Jeff Johns and Gary Frank with Brad Anderson. And, uh, this is, uh, the, the last issue of the miniseries. It, it's labeled as a miniseries finale. So we, it wraps things up. And, um, you know, it leaves uh, the door open for more. And, and I, I, I did like this. You know, it was a, it was a nice story. I, I don't, I almost, I almost said it was like a wholesome story, but there's like violence and death. So it's not really uh, totally wholesome. But it was just, a, I, I'm really intrigued with the whole concept of Junkyard Joe and, and that. So I, I, I wouldn't mind seeing more. I don't know where exactly it would go from here, but there, there's some, some cool moments there. And this is where I kick myself. I just realized, because uh, I'm looking at the previews list. This is how I just go through the comics. Uh, Nemesis Reloaded Issue 5 came out. I did not read that. I read Ambassadors, but I forgot to read. This is the last. Oh, this is the last issue, too. Oh, boy. But of course, you know, like I said, I didn't read everything. So Noctera 14. This is part three of the current story arc. And they've made it to Eden, this place. You know, it's it's like this nice place you it's all about the light in this in this this world because you know you have all these creatures in the dark and everything so they've made it there but there's some questionable things like how do was this world created well you know what was the cost and you know what does this mean and like who's out there like coming towards this place as well so you know it's it's not it's not like everything's all fine and dandy so you know there, there's yeah, I have no idea where it's going. And we get some more flashbacks, you know, so I that's I tend to find that like more interesting in a way, just to seeing how everything got up there, even though we kind of know. It's just, it's weird. Old Dog Issue 4. 
Um, I'm trying to remember when issue three came out because I feel like it, it's been a while. So this one, we, we we find out more backstory, and and it's interesting because you know we had this this old dude, you know he's he's in his program, and and now he's like working with his daughter, and you know they had this they were estranged for the longest time, and now they're working together, but you know he's been put through this program, and you know there's he's got like some memory gaps, so we're seeing a, a bit more, and uh, it's just um it's 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 weird, and it is interesting, and and I love Declan Shelby's art, so it's it's really cool. Phantom Road, Issue 3. So this is Jeff Lemire and Gabriel Hernandez-Walta. This, this is so weird. So, you know, we, we had this trucker and this woman. They kind of got shunted into this, like, alternate world, alternate dimension, like, parallel to where they're at. And there's, like, these weird kind of, not, like, burnt people, like, these, like, almost like these alien beings, like, with no no real features and, you know, like, no genitalia or whatever. And so this issue mainly focuses on like in the real world, our world, or whatever you want to call it, the human world, where there is like a one of these beings like dead on the side of the road, and the FBI are like like what's going on here? What's 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 happening? And um, and then is there a connection to this other place? And what? Yeah. So um, it's it's very intriguing. Just like I I don't even know what's what's happening. And so I think that that's that's cool. Then at DC, there is Batman White Knight presents Generation Joker number one. Jack Napier, the AI um, of Joker, of, of Jack, you know, he, I think his, his time is limited, you know, where how long he can be like around. So he wants to spend some time with his kids and, you know, he doesn't ask for permission or whatever. So there, there's some interesting things there and um, kind of, you know, he wants to go to like where he grew up and everything like that. But then there's like little kinks in the, in the plan, of course. And uh, Batman goes off with Agent Prince with Wonder Woman. But then, you know, is he going to come back to try to deal with when the kids are just, you know, missing or whatever? Um, Wildcats issue seven. I'm, I'm it's this this book. It's just so weird because. I, I feel like I know a good amount about the Wildstorm universe, but I, I'm by no means an expert. You know, I don't know everything. So I, I find it truly fascinating to see how some of the characters have been altered. And I don't, I, I would love to hear, I'm, maybe I, I, I should like look up a review or something, you know, what other people are saying, but I'm so curious, what do the hardcore fans think about like these changes? Are they, do they think it's cool that it's like a reinterpretation or are they just like yelling and like, what the heck is this? And cause you know, like Fairchild from, you know, gen 13, she is like a little kid who, when she uses her power, she turns into like, you know, this big powerhouse. And, and to me, that's just like the weirdest thing, especially since we had Caitlin in, I think it was in Teen Titans when then in New 52. But of course, you know, all the universe, everything's wiped and who, who knows. And then the whole stuff with Deathblow, you know, when Deathblow dies, his, his mind, whatever, gets put in a new body. And I, what? Like, so it's when it was that a thing. I, I, it's it's so weird and and grifter i don't know what it is about grifter i feel like he's such a cliche character but there's something that's that's really cool about him even though he's got this weird mass it's just like a rag but it he just looks cool i don't know so i'm, I'm just really intrigued with this and uh it, yeah just it's just crazy superman lost issue three um I, I'm still not quite cl- sure how i feel about this book you know it, it is interesting to see superman 
went through this portal thing. He's somewhere else, and then he wants to get back to Earth. So now I, maybe he's not like in another world. Maybe he got sent to this other side of the universe because he's trying to make his way back. And it's supposed, to, but I don't, yeah, I'm, I'm just a little confused with where, how, what's going on. And then, you know, he has this new suit, this like white suit. And I was confused, like, where the heck did that came from? Because he was on this, you know, whatever planet. And then we see him out in space wearing a suit. It's like, wait, where did you get that? We get a little more information here, but it's just, yeah, it's, and it's, it's, it's just almost a little uncomfortable because how Superman is kind of helpless and, you know, he's just so insanely far from Earth and, you know, he wants to make it back there. And yeah, and we got space dolphins. How about that? <laughs> then, uh, uh, Stargirl, The Lost Children, issue six. I love this book. I don't know what, what it, I mean, I actually, I do know what it is. One is Stargirl, two is Jeff Johns, three is Todd Nock. So it's like this huge, awesome winning combination there. It's just, it, it blows me away the fact that Jeff Johns created, I, I believe everyone is new. He created all these kids from like the golden age or silver age, because golden age. And, you know, all, all these kids of like the golden age heroes that weren't real. I don't know if they were real. Cause you know, I mentioned that and I haven't bothered looking, I should look it up, but with, uh, the first issue, you know, it was like the who's who's files and there's like all this information, like huge amount of, amount of background. So I'm like, huh, maybe, you know, Jeff did some research or, you know, he knows this stuff and he's just, you know, summarizing everything that's happened. I was like, this is, this is cool. It's like, I didn't even realize that there were all these characters and, and, you know, the whole thing like Jay Garrick having a daughter. I'm like, okay, I, I'll, I'll believe that. Maybe she was just retconned or just forgotten or whatever, but now maybe she was never written or because she was lost in time or I think yeah, I'm just re really in intrigued with this. And, um, and uh, I, I know, you know, star girl, this means a lot to Jeff, but there's just, there's like almost something, it sounds corny, something like magical with the, about the way she's written. You know, she seems like such a good character and, uh, you know, I just, I, I want more, you know, I, I hope we, you know, it continues from there and we're going to see, I guess, Stargirl and I think, uh, Justice Society. So, um, I'm, I'm re just re really, really digging this. Okay. Then there's a uh, spirit world issue one. So we've seen some of these new characters that are, are coming out through the Lazarus rain, whatever the, that, that, that stuff. It's just, it's, it's weird. It, it's fine. You know, it, yeah, we want you know new characters because you know it, it's good to I, the publishers obviously want to you know create new new IPs and you know new characters and new franchise or whatever. But I'm just part of me is like, who, who asked for this? <laughs> so you know, we we have this this uh, new character, and um, I don't know if she's if it's a she or they, and I think she's dead. So she's in a spirit world you know stuff happened whatever and now she's like in the real world and cassandra kane batgirl is in in the spirit world now so you know it's like she knows that she needs to get cassandra out and again maybe it's a they i am not sure what the pronouns were so it's it's a interesting character she seems to be fairly powered you know good amount of power and abilities she knows uh constantine so it's just, uh, you know, it, it was better than I thought. When I read the, like the, the short stories and that whatever one special, I was like, oh, really? 
So I I'm, was kind of intrigued. Um, if it was like a busy week of comics, I would maybe like pass over it. But yeah, there, there's there could be some potential there, but it's just weird. And I don't know. And I you know I'm saying the same thing because there's there's two other books. There's that City Boy, which <laughs> seems like such a funny name, and uh, it's the Vigil or something like that. The group I don't I don't know. I just don't not sure how I. I feel like there's so many comics as, as already. It's like, do we really need more? Because if they're new, it's it's a matter of like, okay, I need to be won over. It's like, why do why should I care about these new characters that mean nothing to me? And I know you know every there's always someone that's got to be new. There's always something that's someone's first issue, but it's just weird. Then there's Green Lantern issue one. Um, what's awesome about this? Is I I love Hal Jordan. You know, and I, I I think he's great. And for those who say, oh no, John Stewart's the best. John Stewart's in here also, and I think uh, Guy Gardner is, but Guy Gardner's not doing so well. <laughs> I just I love Hal Jordan, and I feel like sometimes it comes down to race, where some people are like, oh, you know, you can't like Hal Jordan, you got to like John Stewart because otherwise, you know, you're being racist and whatever. But for me, the reason I always like, you know, and I'm not a white dude, so I I, I don't know if that cuts me some slack not really i guess it shouldn't uh but the reason i always like hal jordan is because he was my first green lantern you know he i first saw him in uh super friends you know the, the cool super friends where we had green lantern and flash and you know the others and then when i first started reading you know it was hal jordan um, it, it's just cool. There's some crazy stuff happening. So the, the guardians are missing apparently. And I feel like it's like, did I miss something? It's like, when did this happen? And the, the Green Lantern course was to be under control of the United Planets, United Nations of Planets. And so a bunch of people are like, uh, no thanks. Because <laughs> Earth is supposed to, or Earth, the quadrant is supposed to be like off limits because it's too dangerous. There's like so much problem that comes out of Earth, which I guess it, that's true. So there's some cool things. It, it, what kind of bothered me a little bit is how, of course, you know, when he goes to Earth, he goes to uh, uh, Carol Ferris, you know, Ferris, Ferris, uh, Air, whatever. And, you know, he automatically, is, you know, assume he's going to have a job, you know, being a test pilot. But he's just he's just so arrogant and cocky because he is a good pilot. But it's like, come on, dude. And when you, if you're going to fly in one of our crafts, you know, you're, you're talking, you know, that's a lot of money. And you can't just be a, a reckless, you know, whatever. I said, like, come on, dude. <laughs> um, and then there's like also like some stuff with John Stewart's like some some development with him. Like wh- where's what's he doing? Where he where is he at? Um, then there is Gotham Academy Maps of Mystery. So with this, I'm like, okay, another Batman book. Come on. But then I was like, Maps. Is this Maps from uh oh what was that that book Gotham Academy? And it was. But then I was like, wait, no. This is the reap. This is just a reprint of I, I already read this story. So. I, I like maps. I like Gotham Academy. That that was a good, you know, the the, the original, you know, whatever issues were really good. Um, so it's just it's too bad that it stopped. And it just it didn't continue. Danger Street issue six. Mm, this I, yeah, I don't know how I feel about this. It's just you know we, we got the the kids want to kill that Starman dude. Um, this uh, whatever Tom is this Tom. Um, because he accidentally killed their friend and he's, you know, the police have him, but then there's like stuff with, uh, wasn't Orion here? Am I, am I right with that? And so I don't know. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm so curious in this. I mean, I'm not, I'm by far, I'm not loving this series. I'm just so incredibly like curious, like what is going on? And it makes me keep reading it. So I guess that's a good thing in a way. I don't know. And Batman Incorporated issue eight. I'm kind of falling off of this. You know, I know I've been, I'm pretty sure I've been saying that. I'm not the biggest Ghostmaker fan. Uh, I'm, I'm okay with him controlling or leading this team. I like, you know, the Batman Incorporated character, some of the others. So it's, it's cool to see them like kind of evolve in whatever they're, they're doing. But yeah, I just, I just don't care about him. And then now we got like, oh, what about a Joker ink? Which is like, really? So I, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. Then at Marvel, we had Amazing Spider-Man issue 25. And um, so this is, you know, stuff about Mary Jane. Things, there's a, a slight improvement, some, one little little aspect of something that made things a tiny bit better. I still, I am absolutely not on board with, with what's going on. So the fact that we have Mary Jane with this dude, Paul, and they have two kids, which is like, wait, what? How is, how is this possible? Because my whole thing was, you know, because we had no explanation over this until now. So it seemed like, okay, Mary Jane, she's dating this dude, Paul, moved in with him, whatever. He has two kids, but then they're calling her mom. And it's like, what? It's like, how? It was only six months. And I was like, she just moves in. They're already calling her mom. You know, she had a stepmom. I was like, wait, what? But then do uh, you see the kids like you, you know the, the the girl has red hair and the boy has dark hair and Paul has dark hair and Mary Jane has red hair so it's like what is going on and then I feel like I need to do an off my mind about this and just kind of explain everything in case you know you're you're not keeping up with with uh, the the story and since I don't do full-on spoilers when I cover comics but where she was trapped, where they, you know, we were introduced to Paul, or they were introduced to Paul, it was at this other dimension, and time moves differently there. So she was trapped there. Peter's frantically trying to, you know, gather up the text, the tech to to go back there, open a portal to free her. So by the time he gets there, all his time had passed, which you know would explain how you know there, there's still a little kicker, which I'm not going to mention, but you know the the difference in time explains. How the heck are there, do they have two kids? And and I th I think the, the other thing that, that just gets me because I want Peter and Mary Jane to be be together. Peter and Felicia is is really cool, you know. And you know, there's a whole thing I did an off my mind uh, podcast on the the page on on the Patreon <laughs> on my Patreon uh, talking about you know Mary Jane having powers and how that makes kind of makes like a weird relationship when you have a powered person and non-powered person. It's like you're in two different worlds. It can work, but it's it's just a weird thing. You know, it's it's like if you had a couple where one person's a celebrity and the other person is a, a school teacher, <laughs> you know, that would just be really weird. You know, it's it's just it, you were totally different circles and it would be hard to just interact, you know, one person interact and the others because you're just so separated. And I feel like that's how Mary Jane and Spider-Man, you know, Peter Parker would be because they're so, so different. And at least with Felicia, you know, she has, she doesn't even really have abilities. You know, she's got her bad luck powers, but at least she travels in that circle. You know, she swing, can swing around on the roof. Mary Jane doesn't swing around. Yeah, we get some, I, I feel like I'm, I'm just spending all this time and not really saying anything about it. So it, things are a little better. I just, I'm not happy because I want Peter and Mary Jane to be together. <laughs> 
So it just comes down to that. Okay, then there is Captain Marvel 49. This uh, wraps up the, the Brood storyline. And I just really, I've never cared for the Brood. So it's just, yeah. And uh, st what what's going to happen to Binary or what happened to Binary? You know, some more on that and everything. So one more issue left, which is, is a bummer because I've been really enjoying this series. And I it's, it's awesome that this series made it to issue 50 because that hardly ever happens. But it's just, it's a bummer. It's like, I hate when series end and then they come back. Whatever. Um, Cosmic Ghost Rider, I did not read this. This is issue three. Yeah, I wasn't um, super crazy about this. But what's weird is because Valkyrie's in here. And um, I don't think I read the second issue, but it's like, I'm not super clear. It's like, is this in the present or is this in the future? Because, you know, Cosmic Ghost Rider's in the future a little bit. Daredevil, issue 11. There's a. Uh, Kind of like some closure and some developments going on here. Yeah, I mean, there, there. I guess there's some good things, but I, it, it still really bothers me the fact that the heroes came after Daredevil and them because, like, oh, you broke some people out of jail. You know, we're coming after you. Let yet there's people selling drugs on the street that are poisoning kids and you know drive-by shootings and you know who knows whatever. And you go after the guy who's been a hero, for, you know, his whole career. He's like, oh, he's doing something a little questionable. Let's let's you know arrest him. And then the fact is like, oh, what Electra killed the president? That's like, um, guilt. You know, you assume she's guilty because it wasn't the president. And, and you know, are they going to find out about that? I don't know. Um, there was extreme Venomverse. <laughs> Did I read that? Heck, no. No way am I going to read it. Return to the Venomverse. Uh, <laughs> face front Venom Maniacs. I'm not a Venom Maniac. To celebrate the 35th anniversary, the creation is of Venom. The summer of symbiotes is underway. Oh, I never read that that Carnage story last week with Miles. I was supposed to read that. <laughs> Oops. Yeah, I don't even know what's going on here. I did not read. No Venomverse for me. Wait, there's a new comic book day? I didn't read that. Avengers... Um, X-Men. I see it in the Marvel app. I didn't realize that. I didn't read that. Oh, and then there's this, another one with uh, Marvel's voices. I didn't read that either. Um, wait, there's another... How many free comic book days? Spider-Man Venom? I didn't read that. I don't. I feel like these were just added. I don't know if they were here uh, the other day. Um, there's Ghost Rider. I'm not reading that. I Am Iron Man. I didn't really... It was just... The first issue was just weird. It almost... Didn't, I don't know. I didn't read that. Invincible Iron Man. I'm I'm kind of not like I I'm I love Jerry Duggan, uh, but it's just it, it it feels like things are not going so well for him, so it makes it hard to read because you know you don't want to see these characters just at rock bottom or whatever, and so yeah, there's just a, a lot of bad things happening here. But you know it's it's cool we get some like flashback scenes and you know the art style is a little different. So I kind of kind of dug that. Ooh, I didn't read Rogue and Gambit issue three. Um, actually, did I read the second issue? I'm, I think I did. I love Rogue and Gambit. I didn't love the first issue. I know that for a fact, and I don't remember if I read the second issue, but I didn't get to that one. Silk issue one. This is another one that, that just drives me nuts. That you know we had that last Silk series. It was like you know five or six issues, and then that was it. It's done. Now, you know, a few months later, we get another Silk number one, 
and I guess whatever, if that works, you know, you can sell it as a trade paperback. I don't know. But this one, I wasn't super crazy about it. It starts off like she's in, in Los Angeles and she's like a detective and it's like the, the fifties or whatever, you know, she's wearing a trench coat and stockings and old timey cars. And it's like, what is going on? There's an explanation for all that. It's just, I didn't love it. Yeah, and and I, I have to say, with the last series, I didn't love that either. It, I mean, it was good. I enjoyed it. I didn't love it, but I did enjoy it. So I don't know. I just I feel like I feel like Silk is just what the heck, man. She should be such a big, bigger deal than she is. And and I don't know what it is. And yeah, it's just it's it's injustice to Silk. You know, she should be you know a higher tier character. And the same thing with like Spider Gwen. I haven't been crazy about the Spider Gwen series lately. So with this current one was the Shadow Clones. I don't care for all these clones, which is just weird. You know, you have all these these clones of Gwen come mixed with different characters. So you know, you got a Sandman clone, you got a Venom clone, a Doc Ock clone, or just whatever. It's just it's just weird. Um, Spider Man twenty ninety nine Dark Genesis. I didn't read this because. I haven't been reading any of like the the 2099 stuff. Um, there was something that came out last week, but it was it was a uh, dark Genesis. Venom was like on the cover, so that was like a huge turnoff for me. So I think this is continuing from that. Cause yeah, this is issue two. I just you put Venom on there or not Venom Carnage? Come on, man. You're there's no way I'm gonna read something with Carnage in it. Which I although with Miles Morales I might, but I didn't read that because no, I don't I don't want Carnage. Star Wars Darth Vader uh, issue 34. This this was an okay issue. I, I felt like it was kind of fast paced. Maybe I read it quickly, but I felt like n- not a whole lot happened. There's still more with Vader and with Sabe. You know, trying trying to figure out. You know, we're trying to see is she still good? Is she leaning towards the darkness? What's happening? And and then you know you got the other handmaidens and so it was yeah. I, I I've been enjoying the series, but I didn't love that issue. And Wolverine thirty three. So speaking of uncomfortable, you know, like all the crazy thing that Beast has been doing, you know, the fact that he has all these like clones of Wolverine and he's using them as weapons or like mindless, he's controlling them. He's made all these clones of himself or not clones, but like these other bodies and put his, his personality into him. So, you know, he wants to kind of do things his way, sort of be like the CIA of Krakoa, you know, doing like the dirty work, you know, killing whoever needs to be killed and just to protect you know the mutants and their home and uh, but it's just it's so weird and wolverine is just you know he because he he was killed beast killed him and then took his body before he got his memories and it was like using him and now the fact that he's made more so it's just just really really nuts and uh i don't know how there's any coming back from this for beast it's like is is he ever going to be able to be forgiven they may say at some point, like, oh, this was never Beast. It was a corrupted version and whatever. But I don't think that's the case. And, you know, and if, if this is a version of Beast, you know, this is supposed to be Beast Prime or whatever. But if there's is a version, is this darkness stuff part of him? You know, where did that come from? And it's just so weird when you read, like, the old issues and you see Hank, you know, because he was, like, such a nice character. And then there's X-Men Red, issue 11, which... I, I kind of was like flipping through this and I was like, oh, maybe I should have read this. But I haven't read, I can't remember, I haven't, I've been skipping this out on, on this, this series. 
I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm a little concerned with where things are going with the X-Men since I haven't been, you know, reading. I didn't read all those other ones. So it's like, I don't know if, if I'm going to be just completely lost in that. So we shall see, but um, we'll see what else is going on because that is going to be comic books for the week. All right. With Citadel season one, episode three, infinite shadows. So uh, that ambassador lady, she's having her men torture Bernard while she eats, you know, just like doing it in the dining room table, like not worried about like blood splattering on the walls or the curtains or floor, whatever. He's being like strangled by a rope. And then he's like, let go at the last minute. And then basically she's going to repeat if he's not ready to talk. In um, Caceres, Spain, Nadia says that Davik put a tracker in the X case and she disabled it. It's like he should have done it right away. Uh, so he won't find out where they're going. And Kyle's like, well, where are we? And she says, we're at a Citadel safe house. You know, we used to have hundreds of them. And then he asks if they've been there before. And she's like, once or twice. And then Kyle's like, were we close? And she's like, not particularly. So she's obviously lying to him. And he's like, can I trust you? And she's like, it's not the first time you asked me that. Inside, So she never answers him. Because, you know, part of me, you know, throughout this, I was like, what if Nadia is the traitor? Which would be... it's not obviously you can't could it inside she gives him like a towel to to bite on because she's gonna you know he so he got shot in the arm so she's pour some alcohol in his bullet wound he's like then um he says some stuff then she tells him you put the towel back in she pulls out the bullet and and then she notices that his wedding ring or you know she sees them she probably saw it before but when he goes to put pressure on the wound and i think he kind of sees her notice and then she's like so tell me about her your wife and he's like abby and she's like how long he's like eight years and she's like wow you didn't waste any time he's like we have a daughter hendrix and then he's like are you okay because you know there's she's got a kind of a look on her face and she's like yeah and he's like okay he's like then he's like tell me about him and she's like who he's like mason you know who was he and she's like couldn't tell you we weren't that close you know it was all about the job never got personal and he's like never because uh, he's like, I couldn't remember anything, not my name, my family, where I was from. It's like, I couldn't remember anything except you. And she's like, I've been known to leave an impression. He's like, were we together? And she just continues like stitching his arm, like not confirming or denying, not saying anything. Because he's like, from what I remember, it seemed like we were. And she's like, says an amnesiac. And he's like, were we? Another pause. And she's like, it was brief. It was nothing. And he's like, lightning in a bottle. And she's like, flash in a pen. So then we get a flashback, Utah, 10 years ago. So this is before the fall of Citadel, duh, because that was eight years ago. Mason's in his helicopter. He arrives at the Citadel U.S. headquarters. He's there for a briefing, running late. You know, he's, he's like, you know, annoyed. Bernard's there. And so Mason wants to, know, wants to know what's up. And Bernard's, he doesn't want to steal Grace's thunder. But then he, he tells, he's like, okay, fine. He's like, act like you're hearing it for the first time when she comes in. He's like, Hassan has created a new virus. His syndicate's going to release it in the U.S. within days. It's a manipulated strain of Ebola, and it'll cause a plague, the likes of which the world hasn't seen since the Dark Ages. So then Grace enters with intel she's got this dude uh, i think his name's spencer spence she starts saying like what's going on but then <laughs> mason cuts her off like literally stealing her thunder he's like and, he, and you know he says everything he's like yeah bernard caught me up he's like we were running five ahead and she's like seriously bernard <laughs> and then you know he, he's like it was just a pre-briefing that's all and then he like whispers to to mason he's like he's such a dick 
So she says that their intelligence confirms that the virus is being stored in an advanced research facility in the Albert Mountains. Then Mason cuts in. He's like, he's like, why is it never Acapulco or somewhere nice? And Bernard says that, you know, she's barely five minutes in and he's heckling her like Statler and Waldorf. And, you know, they're like, who? What? So the Muppets, obviously. So Mason's like, so to recap, an impossible foe has an unthinkable virus and an impenetrable fortress, and I'm going to steal it. And then, uh, so the other dude that, that came with, he's he with Grace. He's like, and our newest tier one will be on site. Then, you know, they've been working as a mole with Hassan and planted the virus for easy retrieval. Grace says that the hard part isn't getting in, it's getting out because they're heavily armed guards, surveillance, uh, you know, missile systems. The dude's like, you know, lucky for Mason that he'll have some help because our newest agent will assist him. And he, he's like, how's a rookie? You know, he's like, a rookie's going to assist me. How will I know them? And Bernard's like, oh, you'll know. So to Albor's Mountain, Iran, 24 hours later, a plane is heading towards it. Mason blows out the wall to escape the facility. So he's like running out now. So he must have stolen the virus, whatever. So he's he's told that he's five minutes ahead of schedule. So he's, he's that just that efficient, I guess. He's being at, shot at by a couple like parachuters. Like where the heck did they come from? Um, so he, he they tell him the plane is like three clicks out. He ducks behind some stuff, like starts shooting at the parachuters. He's told that an ATV is headed up the mountain, and they're also picking up missiles in, or incoming on the position. So he heads towards some other ATVs, but then a missile blows it up. So Carter, that, that dude at, uh, that came in with Grace, he gets a signal that agent is offline and he's trying to reconnect. Then his comm finally does reconnect. Carter says that enemy ATVs are fast approaching. He's now surrounded and Mason's like, you know, not quite. And so he dives over the edge, grabs onto um, one of the parachuters that was like shot, whose like shoot was like caught on some stuff. So he's like hanging out over the edge. It rips and they start falling. He tries using the chute to like slow him down, but it's like all torn up. And he hits like the lower level, like in the mountain or whatever. Carter says, uh, he's like, there they are. It's like hostiles in the air. Two more parachuters are coming in. He's told to activate ski boots. <laughs> so these are like like secret spy boots or whatever, because then they just like pop out of his shoes, I guess, or whatever, his boots. Mason says that a new extraction po- point will be at the bottom of the mountain. So he starts skiing down, of course, and uh, the parachuters release their chutes and they happen to have skis too. <laughs> so this is uh, like, you know, pure like James Bond. I, I feel like we've seen something like this, in, or maybe it's just other spy movies. You always see people skiing down the mountains, like shooting at each other. So um, they're, you know, they're, they're shooting at whatever. He managed to do this like hand plant spin and it shoots both of them with ease. Because he, again, he's like that good of a spy. Then a couple of vehicles start chasing and shooting. So the, the dude in the plane, I think his name was Duke or something like that, but I don't think it matters. I don't know if he survived after this. He um, takes one out, and then Carter tells him that he's running out of snow, so he's better thing about stopping. He does this hard tumble, um, and then the, the skis easily fall off, or maybe they retract. I, I don't know. Carter says the ATVs uh, are on the way, plus he has three broken ribs and internal bleeding because you know he can monitor all, all his vitals. He gets surrounded again. But now Nadia is there. She raises her hand to keep the others from shooting. So I don't know how long she was undercover, but she's got commanded a squad, which is impressive. Carter tells them uh, that she's their new agent and she's pointing her gun at him. But then she hits this device in her hand and it sets off an explosive in the ATV she was. So she must have planted it. She starts shooting at the others. 
Mason, he's out of ammo and he, he tries heading for an ATV, but then an enemy grenade like goes off or something like that and slams him into another one. Carter says he's like, your left lung is filling with blood and your oxygen levels are running low and you're also concussed. So he's like, gun. He calls out to her. She tosses him one. He shoots a couple guards or whatever, so whatever you want, enemies, dudes. And it with um, the second bullet like zips right by her, like hits someone behind her, and which it's, it's supposed to be cool, but it's like, dang, you almost killed her and you're like concussed. But he's that good of a, of a spy, right? She helps Mason up to get him to their extraction. They reach a clearing and then she puts on this like hanging harness around him, grabs on and as more bad guys arrive and start shooting and then they, they're pulled up into the helicopter. So, or I think it was a helicopter. Pretty sure it was a helicopter. After HQ, Nadia comes up to the bedroom to introduce herself. Then she's like, you're welcome, Mason Kane." And he's like, excuse me? She's like, well, you almost blew the entire mission. Half of the U.S. would be infected by now. He's like, I had a cover. And she's like, did you though? So he calls her a rookie and says the thing about him is that when you think he's down, he's not. And, you know, because he always turns things around. And she's like, also, just so we're fudging clear, not a rookie. So he's like, well, where'd you come from? And he's like, am I six? IB? She's like, I'm homegrown. My mother was Citadel. I joined five years ago. Came up through Bravo team. And he's like, oh, that's cute. When he, I don't know what, what the big deal about Bravo team, why he's, it's, it's a joke to him. He's like, that's adorable. And she's like, you know what's adorable? Is your director begging me to join tier one just in time to save your ass. Then he's like, oh, it must have been hard growing up with a spy for mother. And she's like, must have been hard growing up with no mother at all. Then there's like this awkward silence. And she's like, sorry. So he's like, oh, you read my file. And she's like, hmm, didn't pin you for a fan. And she like scoffs at this. He's like, you know, I don't usually do this. He gets up and like gets like right in her face. He's like, but I, I could sign an autograph or take a selfie. And she's like, fudge you. He's like, I would have had it covered. And she's like, hmm. So then he, it's almost like he thinks that, he, they're going to kiss or something like that. But then she just pulls a bandage off his arm and then like kind of chuckles and walks away. Then Paris, two weeks later, they're laying in the bed, smooching and going at it. And afterwards, as they're laying there, he asks, he's like, can I trust you? And she's like, of course. Can I trust you? And he's like, always. Citadel safe house. So 10 years later, so present, Nadia logs on the computer. She's in private mode. She starts a secure message. And she's like, how's the weather? And you can see her name's visible, but then an unknown number responds, mostly sunny. And then, is it really you? And she's like, yes, how is the package? So the unknown types, you know, waiting for you. She closes her eyes and like fights tears. No idea what, what's going on here. Then she types, Valencia may be compromised. Prepare contingencies. I'll be there soon. So not sure what this package is. Did she have a kid in over? Because what did she do in eight years? So she turns off the messaging system and she just sits there thinking. So something is up. Bernard gets duct tape yanked off his face. Dahlia, the ambassador lady, she says like, oh, it's great to see you. It's like, dude, you were just there. He replies, he's like, it's horrifically fudging terrible to see you, Dahlia. He's like, couldn't be worse. She says that she imagines it's a shock to see her at the end of the table. And he's like, yeah, he's, he thought that she'd be at a blood feed or an animal sacrifice or her weekly coven meeting. So he's always like so snarky and all that. She, he mentions that when they worked together all those years ago at the UN, that she had sociopathic je ne sais quoi about her. And she tells one of her goons to show him something. So until they have the X case, they'll have to make do with what they've got. 
So they made sure to salvage every piece of Citadel tech that wasn't sabotaged by spies. One was a Citadel AI system that tracked uranium levels throughout the world. So the whereabouts at any time of all nuclear weapons. But she's like, only we can't access the system. We've tried for years, but here before me, like a gift from God, sits the man who created it. She says that he has to tell her the 19-character password to access the system. And then the dude cocks his pistol like loudly. So, you know, he's all cool and he points it right at his head. Bernard's like, okay, okay. He's like, the password is, why don't you fudge off? Then he's like, no, 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 wait, that's only 18. He's like, it's, it's 19. There's an exclamation mark. And he's like, forgive me. And he's like, why don't you fudge off exclamation mark? He's like, do you really think I, would, I wouldn't give my life to stop you? And she's like, maybe, but what about the lives of your wife and daughter? You know, they're in Wyoming, right? He's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And uh, Dolly's like, with Mason Kane's wife and daughter? No. In Wyoming, Hendrix, uh, she's hanging with, with Bernard's daughter, and she shows her this knife. She's like, my mom, that's the, the knife my mom first got from me or something like that. And then she's like, you want it? I can teach you how to use it. She's like, cool. So Joe, Bernard's ex-wife, asks Abby how she and her husband met. And she says that she was in a bad car accident about nine years ago. She doesn't remember it, though, because she got, had a brain injury. She started her memory therapy at this, like, great nearby hospital. And Kyle was just, he was in the same program. And that's how they met. So the way she says and everything like that, I'm like, mm, feels like she's leaving out some information. But I guess if she had amnesia, obviously. But it just seemed kind of weird the way she said it. So Bernard with Dahlia, he's like, they're not in Wyoming. He's like, I don't even know where they are. Dahlia's like, come on. He's like, we have eyes everywhere. Access to every security camera, every satellite on the grid. You drove your truck to our New York headquarters, so we worked backwards. Use every camera at our disposal to piece your journey back. We lost your truck outside of Cheyenne, so it's only a matter of time before we will find your wife, Joe, and your daughter, Val. He corrects her. He's like, ex-wife. And he's like, and I told you already. He whispers, watch up. So she says for a century, they thought that they were creating a new world order, but spies can't be saints. And she says, like, you know, code is, has, didn't better you, but it blinded you. She's like, to the horrors, you know, the Citadel impart, imparted. And he's like, you're wrong. And she's like, am I? And then she like shows him her burned forearm. He's like, your colleague thought the same. He's like, when we caught him last year, we pulled a wolf from over his eyes. So it was like Carter Spence, the dude. And then this, this guy comes in with the case. Bernard asks her, he's like, what did you do to Carter? So then this dude opens a case and there's like full like pliers and forceps, like other sharp tools and stuff like that. And then there's a shot from outside the house and you hear Bernard like groan, you know, groaning from outside. When it comes back in, you see like on the little, there's a little tray on the table, whatever. So it looks like he has a couple molder molars that were pulled out. So they're yanking out his, his teeth. Dahlia says, you know, for a man who loves to talk, you've grown awfully quiet. And like through a swollen mouth, he's like, well, I'm learning to listen more. She says that there is another way that they could do this. And, you know, they could you know, cut right into his brainstem, excavate his memories. And she mentions this like handy device that another dude um, that or whatever else his name, Anders, um, created. This is Davik's twin brother. Bernard asks him, he's like, which one are you again? Mary Kate or Ashley? So Anders asks him if he's friends with Mason Kane. He's like, oh, not really. He's like, Mason would probably call me his best friend because he doesn't have any friends. Anders, like, he says that he's like, oh, I actually admire your work. He's and he said he's about to drill in there. He's like, oh, I hope I don't mess up with your your brilliant mind. And Bernard's like, because uh, so uh, 
Dahlia left. I guess she didn't want to see this or maybe she has something else to do. But then, uh, so he's about to drill in his head and then Bernard's like, Brielle is still alive. And, and Andrew's like, what? What did you say? He's like, the woman you loved, that's her name, isn't it? Citadel lied to you. He's like, if this is another trick, I'm going to tear you apart. He's like, I swear, you better prove it then. And Bernard's like, bring me my phone and I'll show you. Kyle talks to Abby on the phone. She says that Hendrix is mad that she won't let her TikTok from the bunker, but they're fine. And he says that you know he uh, found a, the Citadel spy. You know she remembers everything. And Abby's like she. So of course she gets immediately jealous. It's like okay, you do do not trust your husband apparently. And he's like yeah, her name's Nadia. And she kind of chuckles and she's like I mean that that's great. What did she say about Mason? What what else did she know? He's like not a lot. Did you two not know each other? He's like, I don't think well. And there's a big pause from her. Again, she doesn't trust him. It's like, you're talking about a spy agency. There's probably like hundreds of spies, maybe thousands of spies. It's like, you you expect everyone to know everyone. And he's like, we're going to figure this out. And I'm coming back to you, okay? And she's like, yeah. She's like, figure it out and come back. And she's like, call as much as you can. I love you, Kyle. He's like, I love you too. And she has like tears. So it's like, what, what, what's up? She's like, again, she doesn't trust. Did he give her any reason not to trust? Because she doesn't know. You can't just assume. Then he sees Nadia standing in the doorway. And she seems like upset, maybe, or something like that. She just tosses some keys. She's like, drive yourself to Barajas Airport. She's like, catch a plane back to the States. Here's some cash. She just like sets like a roll of bills down like on a banister. And she's like walking out. So it's like, dang. He goes after her. And he's like, I'm staying with you. He's like, you know, they, they saw us. They know that we're alive. And you know, they killed Bernard. You know, they're going to come after us with everything they got. And, you know, she's like, you know, you need to go home and protect your family. He's like, if I go home, they're going to find me. Stopping them, that's how I protect my family. She's like, you're no use to me. He's like, Bernard didn't think so. She's like, Bernard was a fool, and you're a liability. So he's like, teach me to be Mason Kane. Train me. Kick my ass. I'll learn on the go. She's like, you're not him. He's like, I can be. She's like, you don't want to be. He's like, well, there's no one else. It's just you and me. And she walks out of the room. And then there's a, you know, he's like, two flashing white lights and a sea of red. And she comes back. It's like, what's the red? So then he, she looks at the computer in the case. You know, there's a screen like out of the world. And there's like flashing lights. She says that those are like SOS, um, search missives or something like that. So that they are, um, they're, they're message, you know, calls for help. She taps one. There's a video of Agent Carter Spence. He says that he's in Beijing. If there's any other surviving agents, you know, contact him on a secure server. But of, of course, she happens to pick the one from Carter. Then Carter's in Mexico City. She clicks on another. Says she says only only four months ago, and he whispers that he's in Fez and Manicor is closing in his location. This might be his last transmission. And she curses. Says that you know she knows where she is. He's a few miles outside of Fez. It's a black site. But see, I part of me wonders because since Dahlia mentioned uh, Spencer or Spence, what's his name? I forget. That maybe they he's been turned or maybe I don't know. And so, you know, maybe just at all, just a trick. So Kyle asks, you know, he's like, how do you know? She's like, I was tortured there for two weeks when I was undercover with El Shabab or Shahab or something like that. And she says it's written by a Portuguese crime boss, something, Balduino. And she's like, I bet Manicor is using it, torturing Carter to get the location of the case, case X. She's like, I got to get him out. And he's like, How? And she's like, Balduano. He's like, I just have to get close enough to hack his phone and steal his access code. Problem is, he's not a fan of yours truly. He, um, Kyle's like, and why is that? She's like, I might have killed his brother. And Kyle's like, might have? She's like, 
I can't get a sit down with Balduino, uh, but him and Kane, they were tight. So what you're saying is, are you ready to be Mason Kane? In Morocco, she reminds him to establish that he's not a threat. He gets frisked when he walks in. Balduino says that he's like, there's a dead man in my restaurant. And Kyle's like, it's been a long time. Nadia says that there's a transmitter and a lighter, so keep it as close as possible when she downloads the data from the phone. And he's like, I thought they killed you eight years ago. Kyle's like, and yet in all this time, you haven't bothered to grow one single hair or something like that because he's kind of bald. So then Balduino's like, so what do you want? And she's like, it'll be a big ass to stroke his ego or something like that. So Kyle's like, I need your help to get into the office of the chief of the armed forces. And Balduino's, Balduino, whatever, says you might have well asked how to get between the legs of the Duchess of Cambridge. Kyle's like, I'll get Manicor's heel off your neck. Balduino's like, Manicor's the only game in town now, and I bet I could make a fortune if I hand you over to them. She, Nadia tells Kyle to look for a weapon. She's like, you may have to shoot your way out. And he sees a gun because uh, Balduino's kids there. He's like made some comment before too, or something like that. He has a gun like tucked in, like on his side. So Kyle's like the Balduino, whatever I remember, would have wanted something more than just to bend over for Manticore. And she's like thirty five percent uploaded. So then he's like, "Is that the lighter your girlfriend gave you, Nadia? Hmm. I heard she was with you in Italy. What happened to her?" Kyle's like, "She's gone. So why do you still fight for her? For her memory?" She's like, upload's almost complete. Start wrapping this up. And he's like, I'm surprised, Kane, that you, of all people, would carry a torch for the woman who sold you out, who brought Citadel to its knees. Then she's like, transfer's complete. Get out of there. Kyle's like, what the hell are you talking about? Balduano, he's like, Manticore had somebody working on the inside. It was your girl, Nadia. Or at least, that is what the whispers say. And then she's just sitting in a car listening. She's not, not saying anything. Then she says, she's like, Kyle, you have to go now. Balduino's kid's like, you got played by a piece of ass. I thought Mason King was supposed to be a real man. Then there's like laughter. Kyle picks up this heavy glass, you know, like drink whiskey glass or like that. And he's like, I thought your dad wore condoms when he slept with whores. So then the kid walks up to Kyle and the, the kid blows smoke in Kyle's face. He's, and he, Kyle slams the, the glass down in his fingers and he pulls his gun out. Balduino's like, you are in a very big hurry to die. He's like, not today. I'm walking out of here. Nadia's like, point the gun at his kid. Kyle's like, tell them to lower their guns. And Balduino's like, you first. He finally orders them to lower their guns. Kyle exits and runs. Driving away in a car, Kyle asks, he's like, what the fudge is going on here? And he's like, you know, what was he talking about? And she's like, horse poop. You know, he's a liar. Kyle's like, Bernard said the Citadel hit was an inside job that someone turned, but he didn't know who it was. He's like, was it you? And she's like, think about it, Kyle. If I was working with Manicor, why would I be trying to break into a black site to free a Citadel agent? And why the fudge are you still alive? He's like, well, you tried to pull me out when he started talking about you. She's like, because I didn't want you to get killed. And he's like, and, and why not just tell me that you and Mason were a thing? She says, because what happened between me and Mason is between me and Mason. And she's like, you're in a getaway car with every Manicor agent in the world looking for you. So you can either do this with me or get the fudge out. Bernard's sitting and waiting. Anders returns, pulls out his gun, hands Bernard his phone. He's like, I'd be very careful what I typed. And then here's, a, I, I kind of, I had a big suspicion when this. He shows a photo of Kyle, Abby, and Hendricks. And Bernard's like, that's Brielle, right? Anders grabs the phone. He's like, no. And he lowers the gun. And Bernard's like, she's alive. 
her name is Abby, and she's married to Mason Kane. She's like, I can take you to her. Anders like isn't sure what to do. And Bernard's like, if you get me out of here, I'll tell you everything because everything you know is a lie. Then the credits start up. I was like, wait, is that it? Well, luckily, <laughs> I stuck around. I mean, it was like kind of really short. There was like a almost like not even a mid credit scene, like a barely whatever. Mason's telling Brielle. So this is like a flashback. He's like, this is our new tier one. She told me I'm going to love you. And she's like, you won't. So turns out Abby was actually a Citadel, maybe a Citadel agent too. Maybe she was the spy. Because she was with Citadel, but Anders was in love with her. So they were together. So wait, I, I, and how did now she's married to Kane? Does she really have amnesia or is she playing? Is she like watching? Is she, was she planted to keep an eye on Mason to, just in case he remembered anything? Like maybe they know he had, knew he had amnesia, but they're like, well, let's just wait because we might need him for information. And then maybe over the eight years, she actually, you know, she's so deep into her role, maybe she actually did start caring for him, you know, because, you know, she's a human. So it's like, what the heck, man? It's, it's all crazy. But, um, so that, that was the third episode. So again, kind of cheesy, a little, not necessarily predictable, but cliche. But it's it's still it's it's a good show. So that 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 was good. Okay, then Superman and Lois, season nine, episode eleven. Guess who's coming to dinner? Who did come to dinner? I'm trying to remember. No, wait, wait, not episode nine. Wait, this is episode. What episode is this? This is episode eight. I did I say eleven? Episode eight. Okay, Lois gets more chemo. Clark's sitting with her, helps her up. She's, like, pretty weak at the farm. He carries her upstairs. She lies in bed. She's in pain. The boys are doing some cleaning, whatever. Clark does some repairs outside. Then, you know, later he's tucking her in again. I think he, he what the, the, when he was doing repairs, he I don't know if he put a bed together downstairs, maybe, so she doesn't have to go up and down the stairs. I don't know. Couldn't really tell. Because then it looked like she was laying in a, a different room. Then breakfast, Jonathan gets ready to go to Firehouse for a shift. And because Kyle wants him there early. Jordan, of course, gives him a hard time because he's just such a jerk. He's like, oh, it's not a shift. He's like, you're a trainee. Clark, you know, tells Jordan that he might not be able to make it. And he's like, speaking of training, I might not be able to make it to the fortress. You know, or Jonathan just left by, you know, he didn't like feed into it. So uh, Clark says that he he's, might not be able to make it for training. Jordan's like, that's okay. He's like, I'm hanging with Sarah later. Clark's like, really? He's like, just two of you? He's like, well, we're just friends. Like, it, it can be done. Chrissy texts Clark that the story's ready. She's like, head over. And he replies, yeah, she'll want to discuss. So Jonathan walks into Fire Hall with like eight coffees. And of course, they're empty because the way he's carrying them. It, and it's weird because everyone's just like standing there staring at him. And Kyle's like, you think just because you have your name on a shirt that you're a big cheese of Smallville now? He's like, we don't let just anyone off the streets into the house. He's like, if we're going to take the time to train you, you need to understand the commitment that you're making. He's like, you're going to give your all no matter how hard. You're not going to give up. Jonathan's like, no. He's like, I'm not going to give up. Kyle smiles. He's like, we know. He steps aside. They all start clapping. He has, there's like a piece of tape like over a hook with, it says Kent. And there's like a, a fire jacket hanging there. He's like, you are now officially a member of the National Ju- Junior Fighter Fighter Program. Jonathan's like, seriously? And Kyle's like, you ready to do this for real? He's like, absolutely. So Kyle puts like a helmet on him and, and Jonathan's like kind of stunned. So he's like super excited. Sarah walks into uh, the, the kitchen in the house and she asks Lana, she's like, don't you ever stop working? And she says that, you know, you'd be surprised how many emails I get a day. Then Lana gets a text reminder of her phone. She's like, Ugh, 
And Sarah's like, what? She's like, oh, it's a concert that's supposed to go with, with your dad. And Sarah's like, oh, who's playing? She's like, The Cure. And Sarah's like, mm, I'm not really that familiar. It's like, like you know nothing. And Lana's like, every time I hear Just Like Heaven, it takes me back to high school. And Sarah's like, is that supposed to be a good thing? And she's like, wait, why don't you come with me? It'd be so much fun. A girls' night out in Metropolis. Sarah's like, uh, sounds fun, but I, I just don't really know the music. She's like, then I'll make you a mix CD. And Sarah laughs. She's like, Mom, I don't even have a CD player. And she's like, it'd be an expensive waste of a ticket. And Lana's like, well, then I'll just ask someone else. Paya coughs violently, and Bruno goes through, you know, goes through a side. There's like some blood. And he, he says that he'll tell Mateo that they're canceling. She's like, no. She's like, this is important to our son. You know, it's important to me. Mateo, Mateo comes in. He's like, oh, I heard some coughing. And she's like, oh, no, it's just he went the wrong way. And then she gives him a gift, like a new bow tie, because Nat's coming over for dinner or for lunch or whatever, something. Lois looks at the headline, the secret wife of Bruno Mannheim. Chrissy says that Bruno should be worried. Um, you know, he managed to keep his, his marriage a secret. And, you know, why is that? Lois says that she guesses that he wants to keep his private life private. Chrissy says, except that he's not a private guy. You know, he's been the public face at Hobbs Bay for years. So she thinks that Bruno knows this could lead to other secrets that he'd rather keep hidden. Lois is like, well, that's a bit of a stretch. Clark kind of reacts to her comment. He's like, what? Chrissy says, actually, it's a strategy Lois that she gave in her master class. And Lois is like, I should, never should have done those, that stupid series. Chrissy asks, you know, why is she making her feel like she's done something wrong? You know, they've been working this story for months. And Lois says, yeah, but not this story. And Clark's like, well, Chrissy's right. He's like, you know, we all agree Bruno should be in prison. If this can help, Lois is like, I'm just not comfortable informing the world of their private life. It's like the Gazette isn't a gossip rag. Chrissy's like, but it's not gossip. Lois is like, it reads like gossip to me. Chrissy says that it's news that their readers will want to read. And then Lois is like, we're not running it. She's like, I'm co-owner of this paper, and I don't want my name on this story. And then she's like, I need to rest. So she leaves. Clark's like, so Chrissy's like, I'll talk to her. Lois is sitting on the sofa later, and Clark's making a fire. And she's like, oh, I'm tired of feeling cold all the time. Clark's, then he's like, you know, Chrissy worked really hard in that article. And Lois says that, you know, she doesn't think it's the right time to to out Bruno and Pea. You know, she has cancer. She's fighting to survive just like she is. He's like, okay, so this is personal. She's like, yeah, maybe a little, but ultimately, you know, what would it accomplish? Them being married doesn't help us take him down. He's like, I know it's a, it's a tough call, but you never know what other secrets this might shake loose. If people look closer at us, she's like, they're not us. He's like, if they look closer, they might find out about me, about Jordan's powers. And she's like, exactly. That would ruin their lives. She's like, I don't want to do that to her. Clark's like, but you, like you said, they aren't us. Bruno's responsible for the deaths of a lot of people. He almost had me killed, and one of his guys shot Jordan in the chest point blank. If he's a leader of Intergang, the biggest illegal weapons dealer in the, the country, he's not a good guy, Lois. And if Pam married him, she's like, what? She can't be good either? He's like, no, but it, it does mean that their secrets might be more dangerous than ours. So it's our job, our responsibility as journalists to keep digging. She's like, fine, fine. She's like, you and Chrissy can keep digging, but you can do it without me. She's like, I'm done with the Mannheim stuff. He's like, okay. And she's like, can I please have my tea? He's like, yeah. In Metropolis, John Henry drops Nat off, and he asks if she, you know, she's sure she doesn't need him. She says, he's like, well, you said you had something to look into. And he says that, he's like, well, they're going to love you. So she goes into Little Aces. Mateo lights up when he sees her. 
And then she's like, oh, I love your bow tie. And he's like, oh, that was mom. He brings him over to meet his parents. Paya says that it's great to finally meet her since Mateo's been going on and on about her. He's like, mom. Bruno's like, you came all the way from Smallville? And she's like, oh, have you been? He's like, not personally. He's like, but it has been on my radar lately. Chrissy's like going off, whatever, you know, she, to Clark. She's like, that was a total disaster. He's like, that was our friend Paige, and I'm not going to run it if Lois isn't going to be part of it. It's a really big story. He's like, I know. Chrissy's asked, he's like, so what? We're just supposed to sit around and write about town hall notes until we can be real journalists again? Lana walks in, and Chrissy gets tense. She says, she's like, oh, Clark, I saw your truck outside. I was wondering if you wanted, you know, t- tickets to the cure. He's like, oh, he's like, that would be awesome. But, you know, he's like, Lois isn't feeling great, so I'm going to stay in and take care of her. Then she looks at Chrissy. She's like, any chance you'd want them? She's like, I know Kyle's a fan. And Chrissy's like, oh, thanks, but I uh, I have a conflict. He's like, not of interest. I was like, oh, my God. It's like a conflict of time. And, and she's just like kind of rambling. Lana's like, okay. And she tells Clark to tell Lois that she's thinking of her. She leaves. And Chrissy's like, was that as awkward as it felt? And Clark's like, I wasn't even using the super stuff. And I could hear your heartbeat. He's like, so then he's like, look, I think we should dig deeper into Pia. And she's like, oh, looks like someone else has been t- taking Lois's master class. But he's like, come on, let's go to Metropolis. There's someone we should talk to. And she's like, okay. Then she's like, wait, does that mean we're going to fly? He looks at her and then, shoom. There's a commercial for flying better. Speaking of flying, fly Luther, Luther Airlines, where Lois shuts out the TV. She's like, even in prison, he's still making money. Sam comes in with a, like a box on, on Bruno Mannheim stuff from Argus Vaults. He's like, everything and anything they have on him, even the classified stuff. And she's like, great. She's like, take it to the Gazette. Maybe Chrissy and Clark will find something. He's like, you know, I've been after this stuff for months from Diggle. And just because, you know, you're getting treatment from his hospital doesn't mean, you know, he's not a criminal. She says, she's like, it just doesn't feel right anymore. And then he's like, is this you talking or the cancer? She's like, dad. He's like, because to me, it sounds like you're letting this disease cloud your judgment. And she's like, and you're starting to sound like Clark. He's like, for once, I agree with him. You really expect me to think that Lois Lane isn't the slightest bit curious about what's in these files? And he puts down an open one in front of her, just like a photo of a dead body or something like that. He's like, come on, pumpkin. He's like, how about you and me take a look? At the firehouse, alarm's going off. John's like, can I come? Kyle's like, "Mm." he's like, as long as you promise to stay by the truck. He's like, watch and observe only. So he suits up, gets in, and he's standing around at the fire. You know, everyone's like working. A radio says an employee is still missing. Does anyone have eyes on him? And then Jonathan sees, he sees Jordan like flying. He's like a black shape. So he kind of goes closer. Back door explodes, like fire spurts out. Jonathan has to like spin around, whatever. Then he sees Jordan with the employee. He like sets him down. He's like, he's like, um, I think Jordan said he inhaled too much smoke. So he flies off. And Jonathan gets ready to do CPR. I don't know who it was. Whatever. So Jonathan, maybe is the store owner, inhaled too much smoke. So um, Jonathan gets ready to do CPR. And then Kyle and and the other dude come out. He's like, what the hell are you doing, Kent? He's like, move. I told you to stay by the truck. Kyle, like, stares at him. So it's like, wait, does he think that Jonathan pulled the dude out? So then, obviously, he does. Because then Kyle's yelling at Jonathan. He's like, Jonathan's like, I just wanted to help. He's like, so you busted down a burning door? He's like, I didn't. He's like, oh, so you're going to lie to me now? He's like, look, I know you want to be the hero, but fires are deadly, okay? He's like, you are a liability today, and I can't have that. Jonathan's like, does this mean I'm fired? Kyle looks at him, and he gets called over to look at something. He's like, we'll talk about this later. He's like, but you're done for today. Get on home. So Lois says that she can't believe it. There's so much here. She's like, I could have used these files years ago. And she looks at Sam. She's like, what? 
he's like, oh, it just makes me happy to see you're like this. You know, it's, it's like it's like you're you're yourself again. His phone beeps and he kind of groans and he's he's like, oh, it's just a reminder for this senior swipe meetup thing. Lois tries to hide a, a smile and sweet. It's like you have a date. He's like, it's just coffee at the at the diner. She's like, dad, that's a date. And she's like, wait, is it tonight? You have to go. He's like, no. It's like I can't go. It's like we're in the middle of a case. And she's like, we just barely started. And he's like, well, all the more reason that, you know, I should stay and help. She stands up. She's like, Dad, I've got this. Besides, it makes me happy to see you getting back out there. So please get back out there for me. At Hobbs Bay Medical, Clark and Chrissy talked to that one other lady that I call lady number one. Because Pay used to babysit her daughter. And Chrissy asked if she had any less desirable qualities. And the lady gets a little uncomfortable. Clark's like, we're just trying to get a full picture. So the lady's like, back when we were in high school, she's like, I don't know if it, it's like something you know happened to her. And he's like, what do you mean? He's like, she became you know quiet and withdrawn. You know, I never saw her smile or laugh. Chrissy's like, any idea what might have happened? And she's like, oh, it wasn't my place to pry. But when she married Bruno, it was like, you know, it was wonderful. It's like he taught her how to find her voice again. You know, he reminded her how to smile. And Chrissy's like, random question: Do you think Paya has any idea of Bruno's ties to inner gang? The lady's like, exactly what kind of article are you writing? And she's like, Paya had nothing in her heart but kindness for the people in this community. And in the Clark, she's like, you should know that by now. Shame on you. So Sam goes to the diner. He looks around. He goes to the counter. Says he's looking for you know someone named Megan. Um, he kind of describes her. You know, the lady's like, oh, with like blonde, or like fair faucet hair or something like that. And she's like, oh, you just missed her, but she left the note and on a napkin. It's like next time, don't be late. Then he sees Lana at the, at the counter. And she's like, wait, was that your date? She's like, what happened? He's like, uh, he's like, first time in my life I was late. He's like, I got caught up. She's like, got caught up or got cold feet? Then she calls out to the waitress. She's like, we're going to need another round of fries. At Little Aces, uh, Paya says that Mateo tells them that, that Nat's interested in robotics. And she's like, yeah. She's like, I just like building things. And Bruno's like, are you part of the team at school? Nat's like, well, actually, Smallville doesn't have a robotics team. So I just like to work on my own stuff in the morning. And Paya's impressed. She's like, mornings? And Bruno's like, this one here likes to roll out of bed 10 minutes before it's time to leave. They all like laugh. Then Paya says to Bruno, she's like, they remind me of us when we were young. But then she says that, you know, her when she says that, her voice kind of shakes things a little bit. And Nat's kind of confused. She's like, do you feel that? Paya starts coughing, and Bruno's like, Paya, you are not well. We should leave. And she's like, I'm going to flag the waiter and get the check, okay? Paya whispers, she's like, Bruno, stop. And louder, you know, it's like, Natalie came a long way to have dinner with us. And she kind of whisper his, she's like, I'm fine. She tells Nat that it's her job as a mother to tell at least one embarrassing story about Mateo. So she's going to start. She talks about, like, dinosaur wallpaper or something like that. Jordan and Sarah are in the living room listening to The Cure, and he's like, see, told you they were dope. And Sarah's like, yeah, they're great. Pretty dark for my mom. Like, who is she? There's a knock at the door. Jonathan walks in. He's like, yo, what the hell's your problem? And Jordan's like, what are you talking about? And Jonathan's like, the fire? He's like, we didn't need Superboy flying in to save the day. And he's like, oh, you're pissed because I saved someone? Sarah's like, yeah, he was just doing his job. Jonathan's like, yeah, well, I might lo- now I might lose mine. And Sarah's like, why? He's like, because Jordan decided to leave the guy with me, and now your dad thinks I went totally rogue. He's like, I was just trying to help. He's like, yeah, we didn't need your help. Sarah's like, just like trying to get them to stop. She's like, I'll talk to my dad. Jonathan's like, you know, you're not the only one that has to save people. Well, I've been training. Oh, he's like, I've been training too. That's not the same thing. Oh, why not? Because I have heat vision and you're taking coffee orders. Jonathan kind of chuckles. He's like, 
right. He's like, you're right. You're the only one that gets to be a real hero. And he leaves. He's like, John. Sarah, like, she just, like, sits back down. Back at the Gazette, Chris is like, oh, my God. She's like, flying is awesome. She's like, but I, I think I, I might vomit my lunch. <laughs> She's like, one thing I learned in college was how to rally. So she apparently partied a lot. Uh, so then Lois walks in from the back room with a box, and, and he's like, babe, what are you doing here? She's like, I need more space to go through these files. Chrissy sees a picture. She's like, oh, my God. Looks like he was chainsawed to death. Lois is like, great. I was looking for that one. And then he's like, I thought you were done with the Mannheim story. Lois starts to apologize about, you know, not feeling like herself. Chrissy says, that, you know, she doesn't have to apologize except to the readers because now they know way too much about the town hall. Lois says that tomorrow they're running Chrissy's story. Clark's like, are you sure? We just did more digging on Pea. Chrissy says that they came up with absolutely nada. Lois says that she knows what she said before, but there's so much stuff about Bruno here that, you know, she hasn't seen before. She's like, I think this is how we nail him. Sam with, with Lana asks, you know, what was he even thinking dating again after all this time? And she's like, I'm sure it hasn't been that long. He's like going on 30 years. And she's like, Oh wow. That is, she's like, I have a lot of questions. She's like, that can wait for a more appropriate time. He's like, after Ella left, he's like, I just never wanted to be hurt like that again. I buried myself in my work, shut everyone out. And, and then he asked, but you know, why are you here alone on a Saturday night? And she says that, you know, she's trying to get rid of cure tickets so Sam's like, I assume that that's a band and not a cult. He's like, well, you know, why would you want to do that? She kind of laughs and says, because she has no one to go with. And so he's like, sounds like maybe you probably need to get back out there too. She's like, yeah, you're probably right. She's like, truth is Kyle broke my heart and I'm terrified of getting hurt again. He's like, I wish I could tell you it gets easier. It won't, you know, not unless you take that first step. She's like, how did you know when you're ready? He's like, pure pressure. She's like, Jordan insisted I give it a try. They would laugh. Jordan says, he's like, it was my responsibility to save that guy's life. It's not my fault that I have powers and Jonathan doesn't. She's like, you didn't have to rub it in his face. That's not what I was doing. She's just kind of exasperated. She's like, Jordan, just try to see it from John's perspective. He found something that makes him feel special, the same way your powers make you feel special, and now he might lose it. Can you just admit it sucks without being so defensive? He's like, you're right. It sucks. So maybe just go talk to him. Uh, maybe I should. She's like, by the way, going to that concert is not just about liking the music. And she's like, that's uh, like the whole point of going to a concert? Uh, could be that maybe your mom is just lonely and wants to spend time with you. And she's like, wait, are you trying to make me feel guilty? Yeah. Takes off. So Chrissy's like, well, let me get this straight. Bruno Mannheim takes over inner gang after Lex Luthor kills Boss Moxie. She's looking at more pictures. It's like more chainsaws. And other guys look like they were hit by a, a bus or, and Clark's like, train. He thinks about onomatopoeia. Lois like, it could be the same person. Lois looks at the coroner's report. Two of the 86ers, or whatever, they were shot. Clark's like, but they never found any bullets. Lois like, where's that recording of Luther confessing? John Henry's talking to his sister, his counterpart sister. He like thanks her for seeing him. She says that um, you know it's the least that she could do after he set up the security system for her family. He says that, well, it's my mess that got you to need them. She's like, well, it's not your problem or her brother's. After seeing him, she realized how much she missed her brother. And he says that he felt the same way about her. And she asks, you know, how's his daughter been? And he says, great. You know, Nat has her first boyfriend and he's struggling. She said, please tell me you're handling it better than our father. And they both laugh. He's like, he's a good kid. You know, she's actually meeting his family at this place over in Hobbs Bay. And she's like, that, that place is coming up. He's like, yeah, they're at this place called Little Aces. And her face kind of falls. 
And she's like, please tell me you're not serious. She's like, Little Aces is a place my brother used to go all the time with Bruno Mannheim. Pea is still telling stories at the restaurant. Then Mateo's like, he's like, oh, look, your dad's here. And John Henry's standing in the doorway, and he is not looking happy. So Bruno's face just like changes. He's just like, it's this evil glare showdown. And then he stands up, and several others stand up too. It's like the whole restaurant's full with his people. And Mateo's like, what's going on? And Bruno's says, this is your father, Natalie? And she's like, yeah, is everything okay? Bruno motions, and then a the bartender has a big shotgun. And again, you see like everyone in the restaurant, they pull out guns. John Henry quietly is like, Nat, we need to go. Bruno's like, take the kids outside. And Mateo's like, grabbed and he argues. And John Henry's like, you know, he yells. He's like, let go. You know, he's going to say let go of Natalie. But then he gets grabbed and he gets, he slugs the guy that, that grabs him. Another one's, you know, another goon grabs him. And John Henry starts getting hit because, you know, he's getting, you know, surrounded. There's like so many people there. Bruno, you know, is, as John Henry's getting hit, he wraps like a, a, a cloth napkin around his hand because, you know, he probably wants to protect his little knuckles. But he also has these like big rings underneath. So he's going to, he goes, walks up to him. He's boosh, punches John Henry hard, like in the face. You know, his whole head like jerks to the side. You see like John Henry's like mouth or teeth are bleeding or something like that. And Bruno's like, get him up. And it's like this thing always always irks me where you have like, oh, the big, big, bad dude. It's like you can't fight. Yeah. Yeah. You're getting your hands dirty. You know, bravo. You're, you're doing something. But heaven forbid you actually do it. You know, have a fair fight and, you know, do something on your own. You have to have your goons there. You have to have them holding the person's arms. So, you know, there's no chance of you possibly getting hurt. It's like, oh, you're so cool. So he tells him to get him up. And he's like, I told you, if I ever saw you again, I'd show you exactly the kind of man I am. Bam! And he hits him again. At the Gazette, they're listening to a recording of, like, Lex. And then there's, like, some noise. And Clark points out, he's like, there, that, that buzzing noise. He's like, every time I, I fought the assassin, talking about onomatopoeia, he's like, I heard that noise. Lois is like, it's an imitation of Lex's voice. And Chrissy's like, so what? All these killings, Boss Moxie, Luther didn't kill them? Bruno hits John Henry again, and he's like, I told you to stay away. Hits him again. And he's like, I told you what I'd do to your family. Bam. Hits again. And Pei is just like kind of cringing with each punch. And then he drops a bloody napkin, and the dude hands him a gun. Then you see a suit on, on auto flight is like starting to fly towards them. And it zeroes in. You see a computer screen. It somehow, I don't know if it has X-ray vision, but it, it zooms in or hones in on John Henry in the restaurant. So it's like at this point, it's like, is this John's suit? Because how is it coming on its own? Or is this Nat's suit? Did she somehow, was she able to call it from outside? Bruno's like, and now I'm going to do what I should have done a long time ago. He raises the gun. And then John Henry raises his hand. And he starts begging. He's like, no, no, no. It's like my, my daughter. And Pea, she's says that you know he doesn't have to do this and bruno says that if he doesn't stop him now he'll stop them there's this beeping noise and bruno hears it and he jumps back to duck because he's a big scaredy cat suit busts through the ceiling and impaya unleashes her scream to try to stop the suit the suit starts to you know it's still moving like fighting through it and it goes around john henry Clark hears, you know the commotion from smallville he's at the gazette and los is like what is it he's like john henry so now John's in a suit. The other goons start shooting stupidly because they're just a bunch of idiots. Um, John Henry walks forward. Pea's like, ah, screaming again. She sends uh, John Henry flying through the doorway. Like, he just smashes through the building out onto the street. 
Mateo and Nat are being taken by some dude. Mateo's like, what was that? And Nat's like, my dad. Then then the, the dude like turns around and Mateo knocks him out. <laughs> and then they, they t- turn back and like start going towards them. They were like, run. John Henry gets up. Another scream sends him flying, you know, like up in the air. Paya and Bruno walk up and Bruno's like, finish this. So he's like in this alley now. Uh, you know, John Henry's on, on the ground. She unleashes another scream. John Henry falls his knees. You know, he's like trying to fight it. And then Superman lands between them. He's like, stop. And he, then he like covers his ears, you know, because it's still loud, you know, even for him. She keeps unleash, unleashing. John, John Henry's suit, his the, the you know computer AI tells that damage is getting critical. Bruno, then he like looks over at, at Pea. He sees like veins popping out of her neck. And then I'd be like, how freaking stupid is he? You know, he's like letting her do that again because he's the big baby doesn't want to do any, you know, heaven forbid he actually tried doing something. He's relying on everyone else because he can't stand for his own. And then she she stops screaming and she falls. So Bruno goes to her. Superman like looks at her, at her like with his X-ray vision, looks at her heart and like uh, her body or whatever. So Bruno takes her arm. He's like, he's like, pay it, pay it. Superman, you know, she's still on his knees. He's like, she needs to get to a hospital. And he's like, I need to take her now. And then Bruno looks at him and he just like nods. And then shoom, Superman grabs her and, and takes off. John Henry stands and Mateo calls. For, he's like, Dad. He's you know he's behind Bruno in the alley and that's like next to him. Bruno looks at them, and then he turns to John Henry. He's like, leave. It's like, okay, like you even have a leg to stand on, dude. John Henry flies, grabs Nat, which is like, ouch. It's like, it seems like, I don't know if the, I feel like that would have hurt the way he just like flew at her and grabbed her. And then Mateo is just like looking at his dad. He's like, what the heck is going on? So Pea's like, it seems like she's in a hospital or something like that. She gets an injection in her neck. But then you see, no, she's not at a hospital. She's at the DOD. And then this barrier goes up around her, and John Henry's like, that'll keep her powers from working while she's gone. So he must have injected like some sort of uh, inhibitor in her neck, which seems unethical. Superman's like, is that even necessary? And John Henry practically snarls, that woman almost killed me, not to mention all the damage she's done in Hobbs Bay. So yeah, I think that's necessary. But the thing also, Paya, didn't she kill uh, John Henry of this world? You know, possibly. And Superman's like, John, he's like, I know the doctors have stabilized her condition, but she still has cancer and it's spread because, you know, he saw this was his x-ray vision, I, I guess. He's like, she doesn't have much time left. And John's like, she's a murderer. He's like, I get that Lois may have bonded with her during her treatments. But she's a bad person. You need to remember that. I'm going to go call Sam so we can figure out our next moves, which is weird when he said next moves. I was like, did he just say that? At the diner. Sam apologizes to to Lana for having to leave suddenly. He's like, it's never a good thing when work calls us late. And he says that, you know, he's been eating alone in a place like this for over 30 years. It's a lonely life. He's like, don't be me. He's like, find someone to take to that concert. Jordan kind of knocks on like Jonathan's, you know, doorway. He's on the phone. He like holds up his hand. You know, he's like, just a minute. And he's like, yes, sir. He's like, that's all I saw. And he hangs up. And then he holds up both arms like, well, and Jordan's like, hey, man, look, I wasn't trying to get you in trouble. I was just trying to help, but I should have said all that stuff before. And John's like, it doesn't matter now. And he's like, why? Did, did they fire you? Was that Mr. Cushing on the phone? He's like, it was. He hasn't made up his mind yet. So what's the problem? He and the others found ice inside the store. This is the first time this has happened. They think someone with powers put out the fire. Congratulations, Superboy. They're on to you.
Said so Jordan, you big idiot. Because is he even supposed to be doing that? Did he ask? It's like you can't just go out. Nat um, sits at home. You know, she's waiting at home. John Henry comes in. She's like, is Mateo's mom okay? And he's like, she's contained. And she's like, dad. And he's like, look, I know you didn't know who Mateo's parents were, but you can never see him again. Is that understood? She's like, wait, but this wasn't his fault. He didn't know either. Doesn't matter. And I'm also going to need your phone. She's like, are you serious? Now. And she just hands it over. Uh, Lois and Clark are sitting outside in the porch. She, he asks if, if you know she's okay, and she's like, I can't believe I was so wrong about everything. And she, Clark's like, there's no way you could have known about Paya. And she's like, that's not who I'm talking about. He's like, you mean Lex? She's like, I think we put Lex Luthor in prison for a crime he didn't commit. Then we see the, or we hear the Cure music playing. I think it was a love song. Um, Kyle sitting at the station. He's looking at some photos, like the, the ice, whatever, from the, the fires. Because there's one that happened in a town hall or somewhere. Jonathan's looking at his shirt, you know, his fire shirt, you know, wondering if he's going to get fired. Jordan's like almost crying. Text Sarah if she's heard from his, his dad to her or her dad. Um, Sarah and Lana are dancing in the living room. So Lana didn't go to, I was like, it's got to be, it's how late is it on this Saturday? It's like they can't go to Metropolis. They're going to miss the whole concert. So I guess they didn't go. Um, Pay is lying on a table. Mateo's like yelling at Bruno. And, you know, we don't hear any what anyone's saying. You know, because Bruno's trying to calm him, whatever. Nat's sitting in her bed. She's crying. John Henry's working on a suit. There's like, I think he had just a couple mixed miss texts or something on, on his phone because it lights up, but I couldn't see what it was. And then we see Bizarro Superman. He opens his eyes. That's the end of the episode. It's like, holy crap. So that was, uh, yeah, there's just a, a lot happened that that episode. It's uh, it's just, just crazy. I wasn't sure when... Lois would find out about Paya, but <laughs> I mean, I guess the good thing is, you know, they're they're not wasting any time with that. So just get that out of there. And the thing is, you know, she's she's not going to make it. So um, that's it's going to be bad for her. I just feel bad for. Her. I mean, Mateo does seem like a good kid. So it's it's just a shame that, about him and and Nat. Then with the Flash, season nine, episode eleven, A New World, part two. Okay, so it starts out at the CCPD. Eddie enters with a folder, and everyone's, like, staring at him. And he's then he goes up to him. He's like, this is going to sound insane. He's like, I was just in an accident, and I found his file. But what I saw inside doesn't make any sense. And people around are, like, whispering, whatever. And then there's, like, one, you know, his picture's on the wall. This lady came out of the office, and she's like, oh, my God, we need to talk. So I, I think she's a police chief. I think she came out of, the, like, the chief's office. So then we get the opening logo. <laughs> and the reason I'm laughing, I saw this TikTok, and apparently it's this old video. I may have seen it a long time ago. I showed it to my daughter. She's like, I can't believe this has made its way back on the internet already, or you know, after all these years. But there's this little kid <laughs> dressed as a flash, and he's like, My name is a flash. And he's like, That that means I can run really, really fast or whatever. And they're like, How fast can you go? And then he like turns around, it goes like slow motion, starts doing like the flash music or whatever. And then <laughs> he falls, starts crying. It's so wrong. If you, I'm sure you've seen it. I mean, if my daughter's like, this is so old. Um, anyways, so New World Part Two, The Blues. So in the present, 
Iris talks to Team Flash, Allegra, Chuck, Cecile, and Keon about how Barry disappeared right in front of her. He's not back yet. Um, they don't know if he's in danger or why he's not back or if he's even alive. And Chuck's like, oh, I did an energy scan or, you know, or something, whatever. You probably use like some magical tech scanner that doesn't really exist. He says he found traces of a radioactive isotope of, of cobalt. And Keon says that she's like, I just got a bad feeling about this. Allegra asks, like, what could leave behind energy like that? And Chuck's like, well, whatever happened, it was an accident. <laughs> really? Iris says that that makes her more afraid. Then Mark, Chillblain, walks in. Looks like you could all use some help. So they welcome whatever Keon hugs him. And she's like, oh, I was just thinking about you. And Allegra's like, how did you know we needed you? Cecile says that she reached out and Keon's like surprised. She's like, you know, she knew how to contact him. So Mark says that, you know, a few months after he left, he called her wanting like someone to talk to. And Cecile says, you know, she's sorry that she couldn't tell him, but you know, Mark wanted his space and asked her not to say anything. So he says, you know, Barry never gave up on him. So even when he was at his lowest point, so he's like, so I'm not going to give up on Barry and neither are you. It's like pep talk from, from him. At Citizen Media, whatever, Iris sits at her desk. Alexa, uh, Alexa, Allegra comes in with more files to check, and Iris says she was looking into like, other disappearance and came across an old draft, the Flash Missing Vanishes in Crisis article that was like in the, the time room, the time vault, whatever. And Allegra says, that, you know, Barry survived crisis, so you know he'll survive this. And Iris mentions that when she first met Nora, you know, she was from a different timeline where Barry had disappeared. So she's like, is someone pulling us apart? Like trying to make that, that reality, you know, that whatever happened, that reality, a reality, that timeline, a reality. Allegra decides to talk about when she first came there and she was a kid with an attitude and Iris took her under wing and turned into a reporter and leader. It's like, what does this have to do with anything? This isn't help. Are you trying to distract her? Maybe that that's a tactic. So she's like, let me help you. Um, starting with how about some tea? So she goes out in the hallway and she sees someone in the hall. She like smiles. She's like, oh, hey, what are you? She gets blasted. And then uh, the, the temperature starts going up because there's these like pipes, these big, huge pipes in the hallways. So you see like the gauge like start like you know going up. So then uh, the alarm starts going up. So they have to evacuate the officers like some gas leak or something like that. Taylor yells at Irish, like, you need to get in your office, protect the baby. So I don't know if it's like a secure office, it's airtight or something. And then this one dude, uh, I thought it was the other guy, but apparently his name is Maurice. He passes out, and then Taylor passes out. Keon and Mark teleport in. I'm still, I feel like I miss where they got this teleportation technology, this like blue stuff. Because at first I was like, is this a part of Allegra's powers that I didn't realize? But then I, I think I did look it up one time and there's like some spherical, I don't even know. Uh, Mark says that, you know, must be the, the halon from the fire suppressing stuff or something like that. Keon says that their heartbeats are so faint, you know, for Taylor and Maurice. She says she knows how to help them. She grabs her hands and in her, their hands and arms start turning green. And, and Mark's like, what are, you, what, what are you doing? And she says that she's growing plant cells in their body to help them breathe. And he's, he asks, like, how are you doing that? And then Maurice opens his eyes and Taylor says, she's like, oh, my chest is on fire because, you know, she's starting to breathe again or something like that. And then they see that they turn green. And Keon's like, oh, just give it a few minutes and your bodies will return to normal. And Taylor's like, I don't know what you are, but stay away from us. And they get up and run out. 
Iris finally comes out. She's like, what's going on? And she's like, where's Allegra? <laughs> she didn't care to, like, two of her employees turned green, turned plant, and ran out. So they, they go out in the hallway. They, they find her on, on the ground. And she's like, wake up. Wake up, Allegra. <laughs> it's like, okay. She's knocked out, clearly. And you're just like, wake up. And she's like, okay. <laughs> that didn't happen. So now they got Allegra at the med bay. Chuck says, he's like, oh, I don't understand why she's not waking up. It's not the, the hell on. Gideon says that she finished analysis. She's suffering from acute radiation syndrome. So it has something to do with the cobalt-97 isotope that was detected in her. So whoever attacked Barry also attacked Allegra. The camera pans as if like someone's watching him from the hallway. It's like, wait, who who could it be? Which um, I don't maybe I think there is someone that we'll see in just a second. Um, Cecile says that someone's coming after team. Keon says, you know, Barry disappeared. He wasn't put into coma, but Iris says that you know, he could be comatose wherever he went. Then Mark says that they need to trust that Barry can take care of himself, you know, wherever he's at. Right now they have to they all have targets on their back. And Mark says that they should lock the place down and maybe Ira should stay in the time vault. She says that, you know, she can't help search from there, but Chuck says that, you know, he needs an hour until they can trace the cobalt or something like that. So in the past, the captain tells uh, this dude that he looks just like Detective Thon. And she asks if he has any ID. He takes out his license and he kind of looks at it and it's like blank. And then it flickers to Malcolm Gilmore. And she asks, how did you get the file? He like snaps. He's like, we went through this. He's like, there was lightning in my lab. You know, I work at Mercury Labs and there, the file was there. And he's like, I just feel like I need to know more. And he's like, so he's about to leave, but because she's looking at him like he's crazy. And she's like, I worked with him. You know, I was a rookie and, you know, he made me feel welcome. So Gilmer asks, he's like, well, what about his death since it was redacted? You know, Eddie, Eddie's death. She says there was never an official story. And then he hears like a snarl and he's like, did you hear that? And she's like, no. Then his warbled voice tells him, he's like, find her. And then he's like, sorry. He's like, I have to go. So Star Lab's locked down. Keon's, you know, she's left with Mark. They talk about um, him talking to Cecile. Then Keon says that there's so much, just, you know, so much she wanted to talk to him about the last few months, but she guesses that he didn't want to talk to her. He talks about, you know, learning to deal with his grief, you know, where, where he was going, whatever, at all these different places he, he stayed at. Keon says that, you know, she forgave him before he, he left. You know, so what changed? He says that she did. You know, she's not the same person that she was. He talks about her turning people into mutant plant monsters. So he's like, he's being kind of mean to her. You know, she's like, well, what choice did I have? And she's like, I saved her lives. He's like, yeah, but you warped their bodies. He's like, you tortured them. They ran away. So, you know, he's like, I really thought you were going to be a hero, but, you know, before I, when I left, he's like, I guess I was wrong. You're an abomination. And this, you know, it's just upsetting. She walks out and then his eyes flicker blue and he smiles. So it's like, ah, you, you little sneaky jerk. At the time vault, Iris is sitting with Cecile. Cecile says that she can feel despair pouring off of her. It's like, oh, really? Jeez, her husband's missing. Uh, not in the timeline. Does it might? Do you think she's upset? Chuck's in his lab. He hears something behind him, but there's nothing. Then he looks around, and, and Mark shows up and says that Keon's gone. He mentions you know saving people at CCCC Media and saying you know, she felt like a monster. So they're gonna start to reconnect, and then she just left. It's like losing Frost all over again. And then he talks about recalibrating the scanners. You know he can help out do that. 
um, you know, he can finish it if Chuck wants so that he can go, you know, sit by Allegra to make sure she's okay. Outside, the weather's kind of wonky. It's like raining or snowing, whatever. Um, Gilmore, uh, Eddie, you know, he's walking down the street and he gets some like flashes of Iris, like some memories, but they're not his. Meanwhile, in the present, Iris and Cecile are sitting. They look like they're bored. Then Mark calls saying that he picked up some big belly burger. He's like, come and get it. Cecile says, thanks. You know, she'll, she'll come out there. And then she exits, and then Iris hears like a heavy thud. She goes and checks, and she sees Cecile on the floor. And Mark's like holding like a raised gauntlet at her. Iris asks Mark, like, what's going on? And in a distorted voice, he's like, Mark isn't here right now, but he served his purpose. Blah, blah, blah. You know, her being a lightning rod and all this like that. And Iris is like, you're the negative speed force, aren't you? And he's like, I'm going to do what I wanted to for a long time. I'm going to get you like a fish and that baby too. He's like, time to eliminate the competition. So he raises both gauntleted hands, you know, Mark's hands. And then he gets blasted by yellow lightning. Leave her alone. He's like, wait, is Barry back? Nope. It's Speed Force Nora. So it's a Speed Force in Nora's like form. Uh, Barry's mom, Nora. She Then she doubles over in pain. So negative Mark says that she can't stay in this plane of existence forever in her condition. He's like, the minute, minute you leave, leave to heal, I'm coming for her and the entire Allen family. And then he disappears in like blue energy. So they asked Speed Force Nora if Mark is a new negative avatar. And she's like, no. Iris wonders if uh, Barry can't return home because he's being held captive somewhere. And she says that she thinks so because his connection to her has been disrupted. You know, she can't find him anywhere in time or space. Chuck says that Mark sabotaged the cobalt scanner thing. Iris says that he's like, well, then she's like, then try harder, please. He's like, he wants to kill my baby, my family. We don't have a way to stop him. Nora says that there's still someone who can help them. Keon. So in the past, Eddie Malcolm, he's digging through Iris West Allen's desk at CCC Citizen Media. And then we see a picture of her from an art article. It's a weird thing to have on display, it seemed like. Here's a big picture of her. <laughs> I don't know. Taylor shows up. She's like, I just, you know, security, go to the CEO's office. And he's like, he's like, no, he's like, I just need to talk to Iris West. And she's like, so you broke into her office then? He says that, you know, she used to know someone, Eddie Thon, and he needed to know what happened to him. You know, it's a matter of life and death. And then, you know, he kind of bumps a, over a picture and he looks at it and it's Iris and Joe. So then he gets a, a like a flash of, of his death, sort of, you know, security arrives. It's like one dude. Taylor's like, she shouts something. Eddie just like goes past the security dude and runs out. <laughs> so it's like, you're supposed to be security. Someone just broke in. They walk right past you and you don't even grab them or anything. Iris asks Gideon to record her message for Barry only. She asks to see a picture of them from their wedding day. She tells Barry that she has no idea how this is going to end. They're under attack, you know, uh, by the negative speed force. She's afraid that, you know, he's under attack too. She felt so powerless today, but this is her saying that, you know, she's standing on her own two feet. You know, she's going to be strong and knows that they're going to find their way back to each other because they always do. Keon appears at Star Labs, like in the sofa room, whatever. I forget what they call this place. She's like, what happened? And she's like, did you summon me? Who are you? So Nora says that she's a speed force. And obviously she's in pain. You know, she doubles over again. And and Keon's like, are you okay? And she's like, no. She's like, I used the last bit of my energy to bring you here. She's like, I, you know, I, I can't help your friends. It's up to you. Keon says that she can't help anyone because even when she tries, she hurts people. You know, that's what... Her friend said, and, and he's right, you know, she's inhuman. 
Nora says that that's the point. Human emotion, human feelings, they give them strength, but it can also weigh them down. And she couldn't even see what was right in front of her face, that Mark wasn't Mark at all. Her power is, is fading, and she's running out of time, and so is Keon. So she's still denying who she is. Seven months ago, she made it snow. Today, she changed people's physiology with just a thought. And she's like, what else have you done? And she's like, uh, I can become any element. I I've rescued people, animal, and entire ecosystems. I can feel everything all over the planet, you know, every living thing. Nora's like, or Speed Force is like, it sounds to me like you already know what you are. Then she gasps in pain and tells her to help her friends or everyone on her team in the city and planet will suffer. Chuck fixed the cobalt scanner thing. He tracked Mark to Caitlin's apartment. Then the radiation increased or the barometric pressure. There's, it's like a hurricane's about to hit. Cecile's like, no, that's no hurricane. The apartment door busts open. Keown's standing there. It's like, oh, you couldn't knock? Don't you live there? Whatever. Mark's like, oh, I've been waiting for you. He's like, you're the only one left. The only one who can protect her. So let's do this. And she's like, bring it on. <laughs> uh, they circle. They're just like kind of walking around like, you know, facing each other, going in a circle. He says that there's something different about her. And she says the speed force helped her realize her power. And she's going to give him one more chance to leave her friend's body. He just laughs. You know, he's like, oh, Mark is still in here, but I'm not leaving. So if you really, really want to stop me, you'll have to kill him. Iris feels weird and asks Gideon to scan for anything unusual. You know, she's having, uh, apparently she's having uh, minor contractions. She's like, I'm in labor? Negative Mark says that as long as he has this crystal embedded in, and he holds up his hand, there's like, it's it's jammed like in his, his it's pretty gross. Like in, in the palm of his hand, there's big blue crystal. As long as he has it, he's in charge. Keown says that, she's like, I know, that's why I'm removing it. She snaps her finger and then he's kind of like, like startled or whatever uh his skin starts cracking and in his fingers he looks at his hand his fingers turn to dust his body is dissolving and crumbling and she thinks back to her time with mark and then the, the crystal just falls and mark she basically he's a, a pile of ashes now and she's like sorry mark this is gonna hurt she snaps again and then he reforms everything goes back into place so he like falls to his knees and coughs he's like what the hell would you do to me and she's like i saved you so she reaches to pick up the crystal, and he's then it, it disappears. He's like, where'd it go? She's like, I don't know, but it can't be good. Chuck's like, track, yeah, because he's not picking up any cobalt you know, wave or you know, panic or anything like that. Cecile then gets a massive wave of panic, but also joy. Iris comes in. She's like, guys, baby's coming. So she's like, she thought that Barry would be back. Then energy forms and flashes back. They're, they're like, oh, we knew you'd get back here. He's like, we have to get Iris to the hospital now. He's like, what, what, no? At the hospital, so she's like in some labor. You know, she's happy that he's there. He says that, you know, he talks about he got to see his parents again. He felt peace or at peace. Um, he's like, I'm not going anywhere now. And then he does. He leaves. He walks out of the room. He's like, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going to leave. And he goes out and sits in a waiting room with the others. Doctor says that in a few more hours, you know, it'll happen. Hopefully... Uh, Barry's like, you know, hopefully the crystal won't pop up. Mark wants to go look for it before it hurts anyone else. Keon kind of goes after him, asks if he's up for it. You know, he's he's fine physically. He says that, you know, he's been gone for months. But he thought about her. And now 
you know, she's more powerful than he imagined. She saved him against a negative speed force, and she says that, you know, she returned him to Earth. She's like, I'm a goddess. And she's not just connected to one force or the element, but to all of them. So he doesn't think it's her destiny to just protect the city. You know, something's got to change. And she doesn't think that she can stay here. So she thinks what she needs to do is to leave. And Cecile's like, what? She says, you know, not yet. You know, first she'll, so she'll help them stop the negative speed force. And then Barry yells out and disappears. So Keon's like, I can't feel him. He's gone again. Edward Thon's grave, 1983-2015, Malcolm's digging, and then the captain shows up, like, holding a gun. He looks at her and has, like, visions, you know, from his memories, whatever, and a voice in his head, um, you know, it's, like, talking. Captain, you know, it has, it's like this weird gun. Almost, it's like, was this, like, a, holding up a cell phone or some weird, like, flat thing? She says that he can't be him, you know, must all be a coincidence, and he, like, laughs. He, you know, he laughs, like, kind of like a maniac. And he's like, no such thing as a coincidence. He's like, I. He said to Joe, he said that to Joe because uh, we see like a flashback where he says that. He opens a coffin and it's empty, and he gasps. And there's like more memories, you know, Iris, Flash removing his mask, proposing to to Iris, Reverse Flash, like him shooting himself. He's like, I remember everything. He's like, I shot myself in the chest. He is like, it's bloody. Captain tells him to put his hands behind his back. He says that, you know, he is Eddie Thon and he'll prove it to her. So he pulls out the bullet from his chest. He's like, now do you believe me? And it's to be continued. So um, I don't know how I felt about that issue. I mean, you know, it's 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 moving things along. It, it is interesting how we didn't really see a whole lot of Barry this, this episode. And again, I... That's what I said when they talked about this limited season. You could easily do it. You know, Barry appeared in you know two scenes at that. You know, in the room, whatever. When he first gets there, and then you know, with Iris, it's like they they could have done this. You know, have there's so many people in the supporting cast. They could have easily have a story. You know, someone else take over or do something. I don't know. But that was uh, this week's The Flash. Then Titans, Season 4, Episode 12, Titans Forever. So again, apparently this is the last episode. So Dick, Corey, Rachel, and Gar, they go to enter the temple. The place is starting to shake. Gar goes to the passcode machine. Doot, 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 and he looks at him. They changed the code. It's like, that's your, your big plan to get in. Corey's about to try blasting door open, but then Rachel's like, wait. So inside, Sebastian walks towards like the center of the temple. Trigon's voice like, you have summoned me. And he's like, yes, I have. You have doubts. You hesitated. Your soul was racked by fear and weakened with confusion. So Trigon's like starting to climb out of the, the lava pit portal thing. He's like, but you overcame that. You are the true son of Trigon. Sebastian's like, you're not angry about mother. She was a vessel, nothing more. She told me that when you rose, we would rule together as equal. I thought she said that she was going to use him, or maybe that was Rachel. Trigon growls. She's like, of course. Then Rachel comes in and says that he's lying, that it's all he ever does is lie. Um, it turns out Rachel is she's not really there with him. She's still really outside because I was like, wait, how'd she get in? They don't even show this because her eyes are closed and she's kind of shaking a bit. And Gar's like, is she okay? And Dick's like, she's done this sort of thing before. And Corey says that you know she doesn't like it, but Dick says, uh, you know, give her some time. My daughter, I can't tell you how glad I am to see you. I've thought of you often. 
She's like, I'm sure you have. Sebastian, you know you can't trust him. He'll kill you. Why would you bring him here? He has something. I need it. Sebastian starts like whacking him with the staff, beating him back into the pit, and he rips out his heart. And Trigon like falls back. And then, you know, Rachel's like, you know, she's keeping back. She sees uh, dead Connor. Is he dead? He looks like he's dead. Sebastian holds Trigon's heart uh, he's, and he's like, Rachel, you're the only family I have left. So what do you say? Hmm? You and me against the world? And she's like, you know, I can't. You've gone too far. You're not, you know, we're not family anymore. Well, that is a shame. He holds up and squeezes Trigon's heart and it's like steams blood into his mouth. And then he drops it when he's finished. He's like, you know, mom and dad were delicious, but I think I still have a little bit of room for you. He lunges at her, but then she's not really there. So on the other side of the door, Rachel like, <gasps> she like gasps, and she tells the others that something happened to Connor. And she's like, Trigon came back, and Brother Blood killed him. He absorbed his power and his evil. It was like he absorbed his soul. It's like, I don't know how we're going to stop him. So they go inside. So Brother Blood took off out some other exit. And so somehow they got got in during the opening intro, the credits. They're standing over Connor's body. Rachel says that Sebastian did this, but Corey's like, he's not Sebastian anymore. Call him what he is, Brother Blood. Gar's like totally in anguish, like, like, dude, I didn't realize you're so close. Um, then he asks Dick if he can feel anything. He's like, no. He's like, come on, let's get him back to the RV. So we see Crypto, he's sad. He's sitting next to Connor's body. Dick comes in with like this tube and he's like, he says it was red kryptonite combined with nitroglycerin and epinephrine. He's like, Star Labs had it designed to stabilize Kal-El if the worst ever happened. Corey asks if it'll work. He's like, I don't know. It's never been used. So he jabs it in Connor's neck and Crypto whines and starts licking his face and Gar's like, now what? So now they gotta wait. Dick stands over as, as they drive away. He's looking at the vitals like nothing has changed. Then he calls uh, the Mark Hopkins Hotel to make a reservation at the, the top of the mark or something like that. He's like, party is six. Seven is fine. He's like, we'll, we'll be there. So it's like, dude, you're making dinner plans? Corey asks Dick if he remembers the first day they met. You know, they're up in the front and because she's driving. He says it was at the roller rink. And she says, she's like, I didn't really like you. He's like, well, I didn't really like you. And she's like, why not? He's like, because you stole my car. She's like, oh, yeah. She's like, sorry about that. She's like, I'm really glad I took the time to get to know you. And Dick's like, sounds like you're trying to say goodbye. And he's like, please don't. We're not there. And she's like, maybe we are. Because, again, this is the last episode. Gar and Rachel look at the monitors uh, in the back. Gar is worried that, you know, Corey's going to sacrifice herself. Then they detect Sebastian on the screen. He's at a chemical warehouse. Dick says it. He's like, oh, no, that's not just a government warehouse. He's like, he's like looking at, a, at, a, at whatever tablet. He's like, that's a government black site. It's like they're storing biochemical weapons there. So they go there, and the place is pretty empty. He's like, you know, maybe there's, there's all the stuff stored in the underground area. Then uh, Tim comes up in his Robin costume. Gar's like, Robin 3.0. And Dick's, he's, you know, he's like, well, third time is the charm. Then stupid Sebastian growls, you shouldn't have come here. So they start approaching each other, and Corey unleashes like a blast of blue energy, and it just goes right through Brother Blood. And he's like, is that all you've got? 
And Tori's like, fudge this dude. Rachel's like, double fudge this dude. Corey blasts again, combined with like a blast from Rachel. Um, he disappears. So it turns out he was just an illusion. So he was never really there. Corey looks around and she's kind of reminded of her dream vision when she was like walking down that like hallway to corridor with like all the pipes. Dick's like, the whole thing was a distraction. Sebastian is riding on a bicycle. He goes to Star Labs. He walks through the lobby and this lady doctor, Eppinson, she recognizes him. And, you know, she calls out, asks like, what are you doing here? He like practically glares at her and then he smiles and he's like, oh, hello. He, he says that he stopped by because he heard Star Labs was instrumental in shutting down his, the game he developed. She's like, I don't know what you're talking about. He's like, it was the only thing that mattered to me, the only good and pure part of myself that I wanted to share with the world, but it didn't matter to you, did it? Did it? And it's like, okay, uh, your game was killing people. So, yeah, there's that. That was kind of a problem. Then Bernard's finally awake. He, like, slowly sits up, and he, like, slowly walks over a computer monitor that just happens to have a big view to security camera conveniently pointing at Sebastian in the lobby. I'm like, What? then it it somehow um changes position you know it switches angles it's like who's controlling this it's like how is this this doing this it's like it's so weird so the doc tells him he's like you have to leave and he whispers if people like you had been just a little bit nicer to me none of this would have happened it's like boo freaking who okay you're so awkward and everything like that you had no friends sorry that sucks you know yeah we all want friends and be happy and loved or whatever but it's like you, you make a game that starts killing people and that, that makes it okay because you didn't have any friends. He grabs her like neck from behind and also the, the lobby, there's like so many people there and no one like heard him yell before. No one sees him grabbing her. So it's like, okay, great security here. Bernard's, he, and he's just sitting there watching. You know, he's not calling security or anything either. And Sebastian's, and he, Sebastian's talking. He's like, is there audio to this video? Because is Bernard listening? He's like, I'm going to need access to your Icarus lab. And then the uh, image of Sebastian kind of flickers, and he's in his brother blood outfit with this stupid, silly mask. And Bernard's just like kind of blinks. It's like, dude. Dr. Eppinson starts screaming. Everyone in the lobby now is like bleeding from their heads. So it's like, okay, so maybe everyone's under control, so no one's going to help. In the RV, they keep looking at Connor signs. There's no change. Tim is surprised to get a call from Bernard. He's like walking this like dark corridor and there's like dead bodies on the floor. He's like, brother blood is here and it's bad. He's like, he killed everyone he saw. But it's like, what about this person in the hall? He just walked by. I don't think he saw it. Maybe he saw him. He's headed to the Icarus lab. Corey is asked what that is. And Bernard's like, Dick, we need to tell him. So they all look at Dick. And he's like, all right, go ahead. So Star Labs has always been about the betterment of mankind. We debate our our research and development and the possible consequences of our action. Project Icarus is as close to the line as we've ever gone. And Dick's like, it's a wormhole. So the Icarus gate is controllable. It's programmable. It allows for any object to be sent anywhere in the universe from something as small as a single atom to as large as an entire planet. It's completely operational, except for one small problem. There isn't enough energy on earth to run it. Tim's like, why would brother blood want access to a wormhole? And Corey's like, he wants to destroy Tamaran. We represent everything he's not. He can't rule until there's no trace left of us. So she asks Gar to stop the RV. And then she exits and she gets into Dick's car that's like, you know, on the other, uh, underneath of whatever that's attached to the RV, but inside. 
So Dick gets in with her and he says that they can stop him and, you know, cause he has a plan, you know, like they, all they gotta do is like blow up the, the gate thing and then no one can use it. You know, so with his plan, no one has to die. Not today. She says that she's going alone. He's like, no. And she says she's tired of asking people to risk themselves, but he's like, no, he's like, we're stronger together. In the lab, Brother Blood approaches, um, the computer detects unknown presence, please identify. And he's like, my name is Brother Blood, and I'm going to change the world. That's all it takes, because then the place lights up. The computer named Calliope, how may I help you? <laughs> it's like a great security here. He says he needs to engage Icarus Gate, and Calliope asks, what is the password? He pauses, and then he gets it right on the first time. Azeroth, Metrian, Zinsoth. Password accepted. <laughs> it's like, really, that's the password? Not like something with a bunch of numbers and uppercase, lowercase, and special characters. The portal thing that Corey saw in her dream lights up behind him. He says that um, the gate's not operating at full capacity, is it? And Calliope's like, no, it requires 1,000 Zeta Joules to become fully operative. He's like, equivalent to the thermal solar output of 10,000 suns? Because, of course, everyone knows that. Calliope's like, 10,089 Earth suns. So he was he was off a little bit, Mr. Smarty Pants. It's like, why? Well, yeah. He asks, if a Tamaranian were to use your power in this room, would that be enough to activate the gate? Correct. A typical Tamaranian can generate well over 1,000 Zeta Joules of energy. Like, that's a lot. 10,000 Earth suns? All the Titans enter the lobby, and they see the bodies. So it's like, what was the point of Corey taking the car separately? They they got their, they just wasted gas. Bernard runs down from like the escalators. The Icarus lab is on the top floor, of course. You know, so it's going to take them longer to get up there. Brother Blood's like, sooner or later, we all have to face our demons. And he sees a Titan start walking down the, the hall on one of the, like the monitor screens. Dick's like, well, by now he probably knows we're coming. So he's like, once inside, distract him for as long as possible. Long enough for Corey to destroy the gate. Corey hears a snarl, and she turns around. It's like, wait, what are you doing? Rachel notices that Corey's not behind her, so she goes, look, and she calls out to Dick. So then the scene that we saw earlier, like the other episode, Corey's walking down this dark you know, corridor surrounded by these big pipes, and she's like walking down her. Crypto's lying on the floor at an RV. He's whining, and then he, he gets up, licks Connor's hand, and then there's a slight heartbeat on the, the monitor. They all call for Corey. Dick figures that she must have gone off for some other reason. You know, she wouldn't go by herself. Bernard says that he sees her headed towards the lab. It's like, wait, weren't they all headed towards the lab? Did she go take a shortcut? He says that there's also a metahuman assault squad gathering by the door. They all start like laser targeting uh, Corey. Brother Blood's like, let my guest pass. And she seems like she's in a trance or something like that. So Gar asks, why would he bring her up there? You know, because she could kill him. And Rachel says that not if he's controlling her. Tim's like, well, why not put a spell on all of us? Dick says that he needs her for something. Rachel and Dick figured out, Starfire is not the problem. She's his solution. He's going to try to use her power or use her to power the gate. Corey enters, stands by the portal. Uh, you hear like the creature snarl and then she's like she's free whatever she's like surprised that she's there she looks at the portal and brother blood's like hello Corey. i bet you wish you'd kill me when you had the chance and she's like back then you weren't brother blood you deserved a right to make a choice about your future this is who i always was you 
just like me better when I was weak. Earth and Tamarine will finally meet when the gate is fully charged. I'm going to send this garbage-covered excuse for a planet hurtling through space to destroy a diamond. And Corey's like, Sebastian, she's like, destroying Earth and Tamarine was your father's goal. It was never yours. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. When you murder someone and you drink their life's blood from their beating heart, you really get to know them. It turns out my father's deepest fear was that one day the people of Earth and the people of Tamarant would join forces. If that happened, they would be unbeatable. I won't let anyone have power over me. Never again. Big baby. Computers completed targeting computations. Brother Blood knows Corey is thinking of destroying the gate. Or maybe you're thinking of sacrificing yourself to destroy me. Either way, it doesn't matter. Any light you release in this room will be instantly absorbed by the gate's power coil, bringing it to full capacity. It's like, how does he know so much about this machine? It's waiting for your energy starfire. It's hungry for it. And you're the only person on Earth who can feed it. She's like, so how does this end? I use my blue light. The Earth goes in a wormhole and you die. Gods don't die. She's like, you're no god. I am a god. My whole life, all I ever wanted was love and acceptance. <laughs> Here comes the boohoo part. And all I got returned was cruelty and pain. It took me a long time to realize that cruelty and pain are the only true principles of existence, and you either suffer them or you inflict them. It's time for the other people to suffer. I'm done suffering. Let's get started, shall we? Titans sneak their way. They get closer. They see all the guards with the laser targets, so like flickering on, whatever. It's like their batteries are going to die if they just leave them on. Tim's like, they're six-armed riot here. And Dick says, Rachel's like, we're going to need some cover. It's like, why are you telling him that or her that? Because then he rolls some some smoke pellets towards them. Rachel steps out. They start firing. But she manages to block them. I guess she has abilities to block bullets. And then she like uses some sort of telekinesis to like make their rifles fly out of their, their hands. Dick, Tim, and Gar charge out at them now that they're unarmed. Corey tells Brother Brother, she's like, I won't help you destroy my home. Uh, you know, either one of them. And he's like, he turns, he's like, yes, you will. He makes some cables like whip around her neck and arms. And somehow these cables have like connectors or something like that because they're latching onto her wrists and her chest. And it must be like conveniently designed to pull out her light without her actually using it. Which is so weird. Okay, so this thing's powered by Zeta Jewels with the power of the sun. Why would it be designed to siphon out Corey's power? He's like, the computer's like, Icarus gate power sequence initiated. And Corey's like in groaning in pain. The Titans are still fighting the dudes. It's like, come on. Like, there's only six of them. And there's you got three four Titans, right? Um, then there's a dude with a flamethrower. <laughs> this is supposed to be cool and everything. It kind of was, but it was also kind of weird. Nightwing runs towards him, does this weird low like horizontal twirl to slide, slide under the flames. He could have just did a regular slide. He grabs like a riot gear shield, gets closer, and then he, you know, he's using the shield to block the flames, and he jabs the guard with a scrimmage stick and like zaps him with it. Gar's kicking a dude. He's now he's back and he was turned into a giant tiger before, and he's like leaping and jumping on people. Now he's just regular human form, and he's like like fighting them. So I don't know if he guessed, or I don't know if he decided he, the human form is better. Like I don't know. Finally, eventually, all the guards are down, and uh, Dick yells at Bernard. You know, it's like, "What do we do now?" And he says that he might be able to hack his way in. 
so he gets a door open. He's like, it'll just be, a, it'll take a bit. It takes like 10 seconds. Like if you hear that computer says the power is at 17%. Corey's grunting in pain. Brother blood rambles on some more. The, you know, the, the portal is like showing space now instead of like blue energy swirls. Brother Blood says that the one whom the prophecy states, he's like, ironic, isn't it? The one whom the prophecy states would save worlds will now destroy them. Calliope says wormhole will be charged in 320 seconds. And he's like, you see, destinies can be rewritten. It just depends on who holds the pen. Then Nightwing leaps and like does like a, a jumping, swinging punch at him. The punches don't seem to be doing much. Computer says power is at 27%. Rachel tries freeing Corey, but she's getting a little zapped from all the energy or whatever. Then she, she's like, how are we going to shut it down? Bernard's like, you have to uh, get close, but be careful. The gravitational pull can be very unpredictable. At first, I was like, uh, Rachel's like right there. What are you talking about? But that's not what he was talking about. So he's like, look for four black cables just beneath the gate. Gar's like, I see them. Dick's still punching Brother Blood. Power's at 30%. Um, Bernard says uh, that the black cables are the navigational guidance system. So pull them out and you won't be able to target Tamarin. Gar's like pulling and pulling, finally gets one free. One down, three to go. But it just seems like if they're controlling the navigational, if you unhook one, wouldn't that mess everything up? So apparently you have to unhook all four. So Tim is at a terminal. He's like, I can't shut it down. And Bernard says that Brother Blood must have locked down the entire mainframe. But it's like, when would he do that? And how would he know how to do it? Well, I guess he's a designer, game designer. Power's at 43%. Rachel's still trying to free Corey. He's still getting shocks. Gar yells. He's like, ah, he, he's trying to pull the second cable. Why not turn into like a giant gorilla or something? You know, I, does he not have extra strength when he changes? I thought he did. I could be wrong. Nightwing's continuing trading blows with, and he's getting nowhere. Brother Blood uses power to like thrust Nightwing back. Tim sees and like throws an, like an R blade thing, you know, whatever, Adam. Brother Blood raises his hand and it sticks in the back of his, his hand instead of like hitting him in the head. Nightwing gives another flying punch. Brother Blood pulls out the, the R and just tosses it away. Tim's like, for the record, that game you made, fudging sucks. Brother Blood uses, you know, um, his power to make tim double over then he uses it on nightwing to like slam him down calliope he's like wormhole initial ignition commencing tim and dick fight you know trying to get up from being pinned down they both start fighting brother blood gar is still pulling the second cable it's like come on dude he finally gets it two more to go <laughs> power's at 70 percent rachel's just puts her hands around Corey's face she's like you gotta let me help you she gets a little tiny zaps or whatever. Gar tries going to the other side of the gate, but the gravity is like trying to pull him. Brother Blood sends a blast to knock Beast Boy up. Dick yells to Tim to help him. Gar turns like one arm into like a octopus tentacle. And then Tim grabs it. Is like trying to pull him. Uh, power levels at 84%. Brother Blood managed to grab in a scrimmage stick and is like hitting Nightwing with it. And he like, he's like smiles like he's enjoying this. Then he does like a mic drop with the stick for some reason. Nightwing shoves his other one at him to zap him. Doesn't seem to be doing much. Tim and got gets Gar up. Tamaran's in sight on the, the screen or in a portal. Power's at 95% suddenly. It's like it was just at 84 uh, then uh, you hear apparently a bone in Nightwing's arm or something like that snapped because according to closed caption, I didn't hear anything. I don't know if it was his wrist or something. Uh, Rachel uses her powers on unconscious Corey. We see memory flashes of her with the team. Then Corey opens her eyes. 
Rachel unhooks Corey's wrist. Calliope says that targeting is complete, ready to execute on your command. Brother Blood yells, did you really think you had a chance? You can't beat me. Dick's like, no, but he can. Brother Blood turns around and sees Connor. And Connor fires heat vision. Brother Blood blocks it like Wonder Woman pose, like, you know, wrist cross. Gar and Tim pull the, the third cable. Calliope says targeting system failure. Tamaran falls from view on, on like the, the, the portal screen. Connor continues blasting and screaming. He approaches and he punches Brother Blood in the gut. Brother Blood goes flying back against the wall. There's a bunch of like energy around Brother Blood. Dick throws an escrima stick at him to like crank up the power. Uh, Brother Blood groans. Corey's is free now. Brother Blood is kind of smoking and he like falls to the ground. Gar says to Connor, he's like, you're alive. And he's like, damn straight. And Gar and Tim like hug him. He's like, wait, was I dead? Tim's like, oh, I'll explain later. Rachel and Ask Corey if she's okay, and she looks at Dick and, and Brother Blood. She's like, I don't think so. Dick's like, it's over. It's like the prophecies, the story, everything, we won. We can toss him into the Icarus gate, blast him to the other side of the universe. He's like, Connor, give me a hand. And Corey's like, no. What if he just comes back stronger? And Dick's like, then we'll be stronger too. She's like, there's a flame still inside me. I just can't put it out and restart it. She's like, I'm sorry, but it's time. You know, there's always an end dick's like i don't know how to do that and she's like i know and he's like i can't and she's like me neither she's like let's just swing it brother blood snarls he gets up he's like no this is my story you don't get the beat fudging heroes dick turns and looks at Corey. she powers up then she grabs him flies through the ceilings they all run outside i don't know if there's like some sort of like outdoor balcony or if they went down to fly five five flights of stairs I don't know if the elevators are working, but they're like outside. They see Corey's blue light going up and up and up. And then whoosh, big, huge ball of like blue energy explosion. And Gar like starts crying right away. <laughs> then it's like Christmas time. It's like, what? Connor has hair again. Was, at first I'm like, wait, who's that? <laughs> Crypto is like, he gives Crypto a cookie and he's got like the reindeer or whatever headband thing. Uh, crypto does. Corey's there and is trying. Wait, it's like, I thought Corey just blew up. You know, she's trying to. It's like, wait, what's the story about Santa and his reindeer? You know, she's trying to get it all straight. Rachel's hair is back dark instead of white. Gar says that he thinks people are divided into two groups: Christmas morning, and Christmas Eve. You know, the, the morning people are all about presents and instant gratification. Christmas Eve is is about the hope and anticipation of what's coming. And Dick's like, well, here's to all the good things in the future yet to come. And uh, they're like, cheers, whatever. And the camera like pans out. But then we return to outside Star Labs. Connor and Tim are looking up in shock. So I don't know what that was all about. But Corey's still blown up. Gar is like ugly crying. Rachel and Dick just stare up. And Tim's like, she saved us. Rachel puts her head on Dick's shoulder. Connor puts his hand on Gar's shoulder. And is like, she saved everything. Then they start walking back in. But Dick just like stays, you know, standing in the spot, just looking up. Gar finally comes inside. He's like, Dick, come on. And he finally turns the head in. And then they hear like a rumble. And in the sky, there's an orange light that's approaching him. And then we see Corey levitate down like a, like a ball of orange, like energy. She looks at Dick and smiles. And then the others come back. And he's like, I thought I'd lost you. And she's like, me too. And then smooch. The others are kind of hang back, you know, give them some their little space, and then they come up and they all hug her. 
So now they're all dressed up. They're going to this top of the mark place, including crypto, because I guess that makes sense, you know, for the seven. Dick says that he has to say, he's like, this place looks better than Bowling Alley Pizza. Corey's like, that pizza was fantastic. Car's like, well, before we get started, I have to tell you, I'm leaving. And Dick's like, what are you talking about? He's like, there are some things I still need to do. And we see him like lying on the ground looking at the old tree. Rachel's like, in the red? He's like, in the red. He's like, I got some answers, but there are more questions raised. He's like, I think they need me there too. And Rachel like smiles. Corey's like, well, how long are you going to be gone? He says that he doesn't know, but he won't be too far. If they ever need him, he'll be there. Dick says, he's like, it's a good thing. You know, he's like, this is what's supposed to happen. It's like, if we stayed in the same place, we never would have met. Rachel says that she's so glad he said that because she's been thinking about the future too. She's like, you know, just for a while there, I was a normal kid. And Connor is like, were any of us ever normal? And she's like, shut up. And she like chuckles. She's like, the point is, I did something I never thought I'd do. I applied for college. And Corey's like, where are you going? And she's like, it's a little college. It's a little community college just outside of Gotham called uh, Bloodhaven University. Which is weird. It's like, it's a university, but it's a community college. That doesn't make any sense. And Dick's like, Bloodhaven? And Rachel's like, sounds cool, right? She's like, I just thought it was time for me to spend some time around regular kids. And we see like an image of like her out there on campus with other people. So I guess this is hasn't happened yet. And she's like, it's not, it's it's not far. You guys can all visit. Corey's like, I'll fly. And Dick's like, Yeah, you fly. I'll have to drive the RV. She's like, take the Porsche, it's faster. Tim's like, hey, Rach. He's like, I'm gonna see you all the time because I'm gonna be around there too. Dick's like, where are you going? And, you know, he's like, here's the thing. He's like, you know, Robin's a responsibility and tied to Gotham, but I got a life in Metropolis too, you know, Bernard. So he's like, I guess the boy Wonder will be in both cities. Then Dick says to Connor, he's like, all right, go ahead. You're next. Where the hell are you going? He's like, back to Metropolis. Superman wants me to spend some time with him. And then again, I don't know if this is like a future thing that we're seeing because we see like red boots. We see Connor get down on one knee with his fists on the ground and his hair is back. Then he continues. He's like, he says he owes me from last time. And then in that scene, we see like the wind rustles. We Then we see it pans out to like city buildings. And then Connor's like flying like pretty erratically, like just trying to stay afloat. And he's like, maybe I'll finally get those flying lessons after all. Corey's like, guess you never know what the future holds, huh? Dick stares at her. He's like, guess not. He's like, all right, who's hungry? Let's eat. On his balcony, Connor's like drinking. Dick walks up. He's like, scotch? And he's like, Lagavulin or something like that. He's like, it's what Lex drinks. And Dick's like, how does it taste? Connor downs it about as good as it sounds. And he's like, Dick's like, you want to head back to the table? Gar's about to order every single dessert on the menu. Connor looks at Dick. He's like, I'm not the same guy. And Dick's like, as what? As the guy Clark wanted to meet. And Dick's like, none of us are the same. Connor like points his bald head. He's like, that's just the tip of the iceberg. And Dick's like, are you afraid you won't approve? And Connor's like, I don't approve. And Dick's like, look, you should ask yourself one question. The things you did, the things you did where you might have crossed the line, did you do that for yourself or to help other people? And Connor's like, well, what does it matter? He's like, I still did it. Dick's like, yeah, but the why is important. Real bad guys out there, they never ask that question. So just keep asking it. Then Dick and Corey are walking alone. She says that she's happy for them. Dick says that you know they're not even 
uh, she's like, they're not even leaving us crypto. And she's like, well, we'll, we'll all survive somehow. Then he asks if she remembers uh, what Sebastian said about humans and Tamaranians together. Cause like these people walk by with like a, uh, a stroller and like a red balloon, like from that dream vision or whatever. And she says that the, yeah, you know, they'd be unstoppable. And he's like, well, maybe we should get on that. And she's like smiles and he's like, okay, let me buy you a drink first. And she's like, just one step at a time, huh? He's like, well, you're paying. And that's where it ends. But then there's one last scene, close up of Connor flying a little shakily. Yeah, woo! And it's over. And that's the end of the show. Which is too bad because I feel like, you know, if it wasn't for like the 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 merger, the Time Warner Discovery, whatever. I don't know, would we have gotten another season out of this? You know, would it have kept going if we didn't have all this change of command and, you know, rebooting and I don't know. But, um, and, and you know, so the, the funny thing is, like, when the, the, the show first started, I wasn't, like, super crazy about it. I'm like, you know, what what the heck is this? And it just, it felt like it was just trying to be edgy to be edgy. You know, the whole fudge back, man. You know, it was just, it was just a bit much. It did get better over time, and I did, you know, really start to appreciate all the characters, and and just the, the storylines got better. But obviously, my my complaint were, you know, there, there's some things where you, the whole scarecrow is a villain for an entire season. I just feel like that was too much. Brother Blood is a villain for the whole season. <laughs> you know, it, it's one thing, you know, you got all these cool characters and these cool actors, but when you know the, the the villain that you choose is a big wiener it just makes it hard to like get super excited for it but they they still they did a good job so it, it was good i i enjoyed it but it's it's just it's too bad this over that we we couldn't see more because i feel like there's potential there and you know there's some good casting and they really they really grew on me and but now it's over so but at least we had we had what we had you know we, we had uh, four seasons of the show so there's that so that was titans and now for the movie feature is robert rodriguez's uh hypnotic so this is with ben affleck and uh uh there's some other people in this as well William Fitchner. So he's been in a bunch of stuff. You know, he was he was a big like bad guy sort of like the agent dude um, on Prison Break chasing uh, Lincoln and um, what was his name? You know who I'm talking about. Um, he was also in uh, uh, he was in an Invasion. Did was that only a season or did I only watch a season? He's been in, like other stuff as, as well. I mean, you, you obviously would know him. And then um, Jackie Earl Haley was, is in here. Jeff Fahey has like a small role. He, it's like, wait, it's like, I feel like they should have used him for more. So it, it, it's it's a weird movie. I, it, I, and by weird, because I, I could be totally wrong, but I, I just feel like there is no promotion for it because I hadn't seen anything. I haven't heard anything about this. And, you know, the, the budget of the movie was $65 million, which isn't a whole lot and you can see you know it, it does have a smaller feel and sometimes movies like that are, are cool because they don't get all hung up on on all the, the spectacle stuff like that you know they just tell the movie and it's also a type of movie that doesn't overly rely on a bunch of like special effects you know there are some stuff since there's like stuff involving the mind and perception you know you do some see some weird things but it's it's kind of good how it's it's a little more grounded or whatever and it's just it, the, the, I think the big problem that, the problem that I had with this 
is that the movie's only like an hour and a half, an hour and like 32 minutes. That's like super short. The the pro the good thing about that is it doesn't waste time. It gets you know boom boom boom. It tells a story. You know it's not padding. It's there's not a bunch of extra like whatever. But the downside is sometimes things happen too fast. It's almost like things are a little too convenient. You know things are just happening because it's almost like wait why are you in such a rush to wrap this up? So it's it's weird because I I feel like we're so used to movies being you know, over two hours, like two, two hours, two hours and 15 minutes, two hours and 30 minutes. And, you know, it seems like that's like the new average. And now we get something when it's like, cause for me, it's always been, if it's less than 90 minutes, that's like a direct a video or, or like the t- a TV movie. So this is, you know, 92 minutes. It's just, it's not horrible. Cause you know, again, like I said, it doesn't waste time, but it, it just, it just feels weird that it goes so fast. Uh, so, what is a movie about? So here's here's a tricky part to um, without spoiling things because because of the nature of the movie, there are a lot of things where they they try pulling the the rug out from you know beneath your feet as as, as I put put it when I mentioned my review online or whatever. Um, so Ben Affleck, we find out he's a detective, and his seven-year-old daughter was abducted you know because it starts off where he's he's like in a talking to therapist like you know going is he fit for for reporting back to duty or whatever so i guess he has to you know keep doing this or whatever and you know he's talking about it's 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 as a a parent you know it's like your your worst nightmare he's out there you know at a park with his daughter he's sitting on a bench there's a bunch of people around his daughter has like a little like was a pinwheel when you know little thing and you know she's um, it's, you know, it's, it's spinning and stuff like that. And, uh, actually, I don't know if it does it start with this whole thing or does we tell it's like, but anyways, um, so what happens is, you know, he just like looks away for a second cause he, he, he talks about later where he actually, he did see the guy suspected of kidnapping his daughter, but he didn't pay any attention to him. And then, you know, he just kind of looks away for a second. Then when he looks back, she's gone. And you know you can't find him anywhere. And what had happened is the dude claimed that you know he was mentally unstable or he he didn't remember doing anything. So I don't know if he was like ever really arrested, but they never had any answers. They never found out what happened to his daughter because this guy claimed that he doesn't remember taking her. So this is a horrible, horrible situation. You know, it's a whole not knowing whatever. So he's with his, you know, he, after a session, he, he gets his partner, picks him up. They got an anonymous tip about a bank robbery at, at a, a bank, you know, safety deposit box. And they're like, okay, was this a joke? But um, this has happened. You know, there's been like other banks where it's, it's like only been like one thing taken, like one, you know, no, money hasn't been taken. It's just like one box or whatever. So they go like on a stakeout and they're like watching through the cameras and stuff like that. And then they see um, William Fitchner. You know, he sits at a bench. This lady comes, sits next to him, and he starts like talking to her. And and then he, you know, this is in a trailer too, where he's like, it's like, oh, it's it's really hot today, or something like that. And then she gets up. So basically, that you know, the, the premise of the story or the movie, you know, it's called Hypnotic. So somehow he hypnotizes her. So she feels like she's like really super hot. She starts walking and she's like, oh, it's so hot, whatever, like that. Then she starts like, you know, she takes off her blouse or whatever. She's, and she just walks in the middle of the street and, you know, this car swerves and there's accident, it's huge, you know, all this craziness. So then uh, 
Allah, the police watching, they're like, you know, it's, it's basically just a big distraction. So they go, like, check things out. But, you know, Ben Affleck, he realizes, because then they, he, he sees this dude um, walk up to, like, these two armored guards. He's like, they're in on it. So then uh, Fitchner starts heading towards the bank. So he goes in there, and his partner's like, don't go in there, don't go in there. Because, you know, if he goes in there, it could ruin, you know, the, the whole sting operation. I'm gonna. I'll spoil this much as far of it, whatever. And so he, you know, he, he, they know which which safety deposit box is. The anonymous tips that it was like box twenty three. So he's like, you know, how can he get there, or whatever. He, you know, th- this dude comes up to him. He's like, the bank manager's like, can I help you with anything? And then he's like, I was thinking about opening up a safety deposit box. And then he's like, okay, whatever. So they start going in there, and um, it was weird because you like, actually see the guy has his keys on his belt and when they get there, he gives him a form to sign and then he's like, oh, looks like I left my keys on my desk. I'll be right back. Ben Affleck grabbed him from somehow, pickpocketed him. Goes to the bank, the box, opens it up. Only thing in there is a Polaroid picture of his daughter. So it's like, what the heck is going on? And then it just kind of escalates from there. So uh, Fitchner, you know, he's you know, able to control other people and this is a big chase and it's just it just it's it's nuts and and you find out um that there's more to it than this they're able to track down who made the anonymous tip so they, they go to this woman and then that's where the story unfolds where you know she knows more than she than it, it, it would seem and uh this dude he's like what is what does he want you know why does he want this picture there's like something written on there and it's just it it continues from there. So then, what it comes down to is like Ben Affleck's like on the run, you know, from Fitchner, and because he can control basically, you know, whoever with his hypnotic powers. So it just kind of goes from there. You know, it's big crazy chase, and you know, we we find out that there's more, there's different people that they can use this this hypnosis power, which is like you know super hypnosis. I forget what they they're called hypnotics people that can do this. So it's not telepathy, but it's like it's just this other thing, and they're like trained to use this and everything. And it just it just kind of gets bigger and bigger. And there's like some moments where you see something, and then it turns out that that's not really what's happening. And so I, I feel like you know the the movie has like a subtle way of of telling the story you know and it doesn't rely on big fancy you know spectacles special effects and and stuff like that so that's what it has going for it um you know the the action is decent you know the the locations and you know just them getting around and running and stuff like that but then then you know again because of the movie's runtime it's like wait then they're here then they're here it's like wow that that's so easy so convenient oh this person these people can help this person can help it's like wow that's so easy oh they're able to get some answers oh they have these connections of course you can do it and you can hack and hack into computer and do whatever this so a lot of times it's just like like wait this is too convenient there is i guess when you look at the whole story the whole movie that there could be okay there's a reason it's not just a runtime that's making it super convenient there's another aspect that's that may possibly be the reason why some things felt a little convenient and i i can't mention that you know you'll you'll see it and and, you know i feel like this could be a movie at some point like i would want to talk about on a secret podcast where just spoil the whole thing and talk about like every little aspect and kind of analyze like was this a good decision or was this cool or was this just weird or, or whatever so um, the movie itself, I mean, on Rotten Tomatoes, it looks like it's at a, is it a 38% already? That, that seems 
Because before it was like 40 something. Okay, so it's at a 39% Rotten Tomatoes, 57% audience score, which that seems a bit harsh. You know, and I always wonder is like, you know, I, I'm not a critic anymore, but I, I, I feel like sometimes critics are too harsh. Like they're too, too not uptight, but it's like, it, you know, is it entertaining? And yeah, the movie was entertaining. Um, it wasn't perfect, but you know, it's like, what, what do you want from this? And I don't know. I, I, like, I, I felt that it was, uh, you know, I was entertained for 90 minutes, 92 minutes. And, um, I feel like I got my money's worth or whatever. And, you know, I like Ben Affleck. It was cool seeing him, you know, his, his subtle coolness, you know, his, his quiet, you know, sometimes he, you know, I, I, I enjoy a, a good Ben Affleck movie and it's, you know, I, I find it interesting that he chose to do this movie because it doesn't seem like his typical thing, but you know, whatever he, he does lots of different things, which is good to mix things up. And, uh, you know, I, I can't remember the last time I've seen a Robert Rodriguez movie. You know, yeah, he did some some Mandalorians, right? Um, or what did he do? Something. So it's just it's just a very weird movie. And apparently this is something that Robert Rodriguez has been wanting to do since I think it was like 2002 or something like that. Where, you know, he had uh, when he he, um, he had wrote this the, the, the screenplay that he really it, it's, it's crazy. That it took like oh, oh, 20 years, you know, to, to make it happen. So I don't. I am really bummed um, because of like stuff that's established and, and set up here. There is a, a and there is a mid credit scene. So obviously with that, there is potential where you could explore things more. The ending is, you know, again, it it does feel like it's a little too rushed, convenient, and stuff like that. But there is stuff that could be seen that could be done. I just feel like there's no way we're going to get a sequel. Especially with with those type of numbers, I don't even know what the box office is going to be. You know, I'm sure people are still going to go see Guardians of the Galaxy or Super Mario, or whatever. Um, you know, maybe if Chris Pratt was in this, it would have been a, a success, right? No, I don't know. So it's just too bad because I, I did enjoy it. It wasn't perfect, it wasn't great, but it it was a good movie, and I would say it's better, you know, higher than 38. percent But what do I know? So what I do know. <laughs> That that that's it. That uh, there's nothing more to say. So that's going to be the end of another episode. So big thanks to Dave McPhail and Andrew Loken. They are big supporters of the show. You can be a supporter by going to Patreon.com/slash/GmanFromHeck. Right? I almost said that automatically. I was like, that doesn't sound right. Any amount you can commit to is awesome. If you commit to the Rick Jones here or higher, you get access to the secret podcast from Heck, which is an additional thirty minutes of podcast entertainment every single week. Um, I think I am going to do another Fantastic Four issue. I I, I want to do another off my mind. I would love I would love to, for someone to request something for me to talk about, you know, because I want to know like what do you want to hear me, you know, get into, dive into, or, or just give my thoughts on and, and define or whatever. So we'll see. I don't know. I and just because I I'm being lazy, I guess. And I, I don't, there's still so much going on, you know, wrapping up things at school and all that. So I think we're going to do another Fantastic Four. Hopefully that's okay. But if you can't commit to a monthly commitment, you can also help out by going to coffee.com slash gman from heck. And you can buy me a virtual cup of coffee or three. That's ko-fi.com slash gman from heck. All right. So um, what's going to happen next week? Fast X. Okay. I'm sure it's going to be a fun movie. And, and, you know, I always go into these movies where I'm like, oh, man, you know, I'm not super excited. 
but then I walk out, you know, entertained. It's, it's fun. You know, you just, it is what what it is. You don't ex- have you know high expectations. They're not going to be you know, um, it's in the Casablanca or whatever. It's not going to be you know literary classic. It's just me crazy bonkers action. But yeah, so that'll be next week. Um, as far as TV shows, you know, there's just Citadel, uh, Superman and Lois, um, and The Flash, which again can help me out. Um, I'm gonna, I'm still, I'm still determined to try to watch Silo. I, I don't know if it's gonna happen. I may have to call it on that one because I, I, I always feel like it's getting too late. And again, I don't know if anyone wants to hear about it or not. Maybe something else will pop up at some point because you know I'm starting to run out of things. But I don't. I mean, sometimes I wonder if people just care about the movies. You know, because, uh, you know, when, when I look at the download numbers, they're never consistent. So it's not like I always have X number like that listen every single week. So I feel like sometimes people do listen because of the movie. Because like when I did Bo was Afraid, you know, again, not a huge blockbuster movie. There wasn't the same numbers as I, whatever, something, you know, some other something big. So we'll see. So that's going to be it for this week. Um, I hope you're doing well. I hope you're taking care of yourself. hope everything is going fine. And I hope you remember, be good to each other.